0: Hey guys, see you here. Important Pot- Today we're going to talk about growing g-
1: g- g- with fishes. Growing <sighs> with fishes. <sighs>
0: everybody welcome to growing with fishes episode 275 sorry about the minorly botched intro there i didn't quite sync up the start times but that's okay Um, this week we have uh scott from the cannabis professor podcast joining us as our guest thanks a lot for joining us this week scott
2: thanks for having me on steve appreciate it
0: awesome well Uh, Thanks for joining us. Um, We have an awesome uh, episode for you guys today. So um, I look forward to uh, covering a bunch of cool stuff that I think you guys are going to like. Also, shout out to, uh, um, we also have Marty with us today. How's it going, Marty? Good. Glad to be back. How's everybody doing? Doing well, I hope. Yeah, a bit of travel this week. Kind of got stuck in airport hell for a couple days, but I finally made it home right Basically, oh it was yeah. Storm. So that was pretty fun.
1: How was the conference? Was it
0: good? Yeah, the conference was great. We had Humboldt's always an interesting experience because it, <laughs> it being more like hardcore growers that have been doing it for years and years and years. So you can kind of ask some advanced questions and things that are normally kind of uh, uh, beyond what most of the the average uh, cannabis connoisseur. Uh, is capable of asking or understanding. And also, this access to really cool stuff that you don't really see. Um, uh, thanks to Happy Tree Farms uh, for giving me an Australian Bastard Cannabis cross. That has about a 20% chance of uh, ABC genetics in terms of mutation. Um, what else? I pick up some Malawi Gold, thanks to SunGrown Mids. Uh, gave me some uh, Oreos Puck cross, which is really good. Um, I got, uh, what else did I get? Some other really cool genetics. Um, I'm trying to, there was one other really cool one oh a really interesting cbd uh, cbg cultivar that has blue seeds like literally blue light blue powder blue colored seeds i've never seen that before in cannabis uh, and then a really interesting um, line of some kind of uh, freak show cross um, that i got some uh, given a nug of as well uh, that um, i had a bunch of seeds in it and holy crap did that have not only a, a just incredibly floral and diverse terpene profile, but also uh, really interesting seeds that look like little eyeballs. Like they're spherical and more melon shaped than anything else I've ever seen before. They're very unique. All the whole plant's just unique. Um, So I thought that was really interesting too. And then a ton of other awesome genetics from a bunch of other people. Got a chance to hang out with Mean Jeans and Mendocino. He's gonna be our guest up here in a couple of weeks. um, uh, Also Dandelion from uh, uh, Pride of, Pride of the Lion Seeds, he's a super cool dude, he's going to be on our show uh, in two weeks, and a bunch of other awesome people that are going to be uh, on the show as well, so um, uh, yeah, I think it'll be fun, we'll have a bunch of the, the other speakers on as, as guests here in the next couple of weeks as well, um, but yeah, uh, i definitely get a chance to check that out, um, over at Regenerative, uh, Regenerative Organic, what was it, regenerativecannabisconference.com, I'm sorry, it took me a minute to turn on the, regenerativecannabisconference.com We'll get you over to the regenerative seed co link uh, for that. Um, we have February end of last weekend of February will be in March in in uh, Michigan. The second week or last weekend of Maine, uh, of March will be in Maine. Sorry, I'm just retarded today. Um <laughs> and then the last weekend of uh o- Oklahoma. Ooh, last weekend of April will be in Oklahoma. God damn it. I cannot talk today. Uh I any mean, right. other dab or something. Yeah, apparently. uh, I need to smoke more hash, I think is my problem. But um, yeah, I'll I'll talk about some of the latest cannabis I've been smoking later. Um, Thanks a lot to our guest. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself and and tell us a little bit about um, your show and and what you do. You got some really really cool topics. And you're from uh, basically the same area that I grew up in. So I'm really excited to talk to you today.
2: Yeah, yeah. We uh, just found out that we're pretty much neighbors uh, on different coasts, uh, all from the like northern Philadelphia, uh, lower burbs and Bucks County area, too. So pretty awesome. Um, I started about three years ago. I think my anniversary is coming up around 420, right? Everybody tries to start around the the Christmas holiday for it. Um, but uh, I, I always wanted to do a podcast. Um, I feel, you know, sometimes you have the gift of gab, but you're trying to find a subject matter and cannabis was more ripe than most others, especially since the market was new in PA about three years ago in 2018 into 19. Um, and I initially tried to kick it off because I was working for a dispensary group and they had like the, what's the $0 idea of the year. And I was like, we should do a a podcast, but I'll just be the host. And then, uh, they never really took to it, but I had bought a bunch of stuff in excitement. And so I just said, you know what, like lemonade time, right? and started a couple episodes, dropped it for like a half a year because I had to manage for a while and it was kind of impossible to do both uh, and then picked it back up right before COVID actually came in. Uh, and I've pretty much just been grinding ever since. Um, also amazing to be able to listen to yours. And I i am sure have some questions because I am uh, about to go on to YouTube as well. So I know it's a big hurdle to be able to surmount. Um, but my show is really focused on uh, the curious part of it. I realized I'm purely driven my curiosity, which is great in a lot of areas. And as we all know, terrible in a lot of other ones. Um, So I want to know as much as I can, especially about the things I don't, you know, I'm gross, stupid, especially so a lot to be able to learn from your neck of the woods. Uh, A lot of the things that I think I've harped on, because I was always the MacGyver of my friends group. So always the one to try to build random stuff, uh, figure out if temperature matters as much, you know, a lot of technique and application. So at this point, I think, you know, my interest was a lot more in like the medicine, how it works with the body. And then, of course, the biggest mountain for me to climb is uh, how does it come out of this seed and and into these potent, potent forms that I know so well. Um, And really, you know, I'm I'm about to hit episode 100. I think you said you're near 300, right?
0: Yes, we're uh, 275. Yep.
2: That is incredible. I have to say that's like. You know, I, f- I feel like the triple digits is is uh, a huge go. So seeing that kind of uh, grind, especially uh, hats off, that is, that is a mountain. Um, and yeah, so a lot of my show really is uh, just trying to kind of go into all the dark little corners and figure out exactly why cannabis works the way it does. And as a philosophically minded person, um, I probably also love to go on some side rants about how, uh, how unfortunate stigma finds its way into so much testing, so much of the political side of it, um, and so much of just the basic information where it doesn't even seem like there's much, uh, you know, wars to be won, and yet still people constantly dog cannabis. So I feel a big purpose of mine, you know, the best source of information you can possibly be uh, and create the best community you can.
0: So, uh, what? How did you? What just made you? Uh, you kind of mentioned on it earlier, but what really drove you to kind of start the podcast? And then, uh, I'm, you know, certainly after a little while, it can be kind of uh, difficult to to keep going. What kind of made you want to keep going when you kind of reached a hard point um, or a difficult point uh, uh, with your uh, production?
2: Yeah, I mean, my first big hiccup. I think I did five or seven episodes in 2019. I want to say if anybody even looks back there, there's probably this massive like eight month gap between like episode five and episode six, uh, where I really did kind of trip over, you know, Oh man, is this just going to be every, you got to figure it out all the time. And, you know, at that point uh, I would say, if you were to look at my uh, social media, it still looks like, you know, a child is doing it. Uh, I'm not as motivated on a lot of those fronts. Um, So for me uh, hitting that initial hurdle of just, you know, what do you do now you're in the big game of the internet and there's so many people who've been doing it so much longer, so much better, potentially, You know, it makes you feel like you're behind the ball. Um, For me, it was a little bit easier to get back into it since it was already something I was working in. You know, I imagine if cannabis wasn't part of my sort of daily, it might be either a little bit more fun or a little bit harder to find topic matter because now I run into it more naturally throughout my career. Um, But I realized, I think, just before COVID hit, I tried to sort of prep the idea for the company I was working for at the time. Uh, and they shelved it once again. I was working in their education department at the time. And I just thought, you know, am I really just in this because of where I have to clock in and clock out? You know, this has been something I've been into for 20 years, you know, breaking all sorts of laws to try to keep it in your personal culture. Um, and it was just one of those times where I think I was able to get the test before the or the lesson before the test, as they might say, and, uh, and just realized that my alignment really didn't have anything to do with my day to day paycheck as much as really just wanting to inform as many people as possible. So um, it took a little bit. I know there were some times where, you know, you kind of wait two weeks during a one week cycle and things like that. But uh, I think, you know, even uh, I tell a lot of people I'm a dude who smokes weed and hat, bro. You know, like it doesn't feel like I'm in this like massive media center, but to know that, and I'm sure you guys probably see it in your metrics too, that you can touch these little corners of the world. Why is somebody in Madagascar want to turn on and listen to somebody drool on about the endocannabinoid system? Um, it shrinks the world in the best way. It almost feels like, you know, like I like to call the crop circle includes a lot more people than I thought it used to.
0: Awesome. Um, so what are, uh, I guess, before we get onto more stuff on your, on your show, well, you know what, we'll touch on that later. Um, what kind of, uh, may, this is a question I had for you because a lot of people do this and I've always been curious, but I've never had anyone on that. I could ask this, what made you decide to split your show into different seasons?
2: Oh, yeah. And I'm still like, I I feel not completely decided. Um, I've had this thing on my one whiteboard in my production room that says, like, uh, you know, renumber your episodes. Just, you know, I feel like I probably have seen too many Joe Rogan clips on YouTube. It's just number 1263. And I was like, you know, maybe I should just go to just blanket numbering. But when I first was about to start, I think that feeling of having to constantly produce and never really understand if a break was going to. Uh, be like betraying your listeners because now there's a hole in your production and they expected it every Monday or you know every Tuesday kind of thinking Um, or whether or not there could be a human element and so I think I I tried to sample as much media as I can a lot of people who'd been on YouTube a long time like uh, Great Mythical Morning um, and see how the really successful people did it did they build in vacation time or was it just You know, all access, all the time, and it seemed like seasons could buy you a month out here or a month out there if you planned it right. Um, I think in the last year I haven't taken any of that time necessarily. It just sounded real good, and so like my first season's thirty episodes, my second season's at like seventy episodes. So I sort of tried and abandoned it sort of out of uh, consistency sake. But I I theorize that if I take a break for season three, I might just renumber the whole thing and and tell people, I'm sorry, it's going to sound real weird when you hear me advertising seasons and it's just number 100 or something.
0: Um, you do a lot of um, verses and side-by-side content on your podcast. Uh, what are some of the more interesting ones that you've done so far and uh, uh, and what kind of um, you know breakdowns do you do on your show for people that want to listen?
2: I like to, to find the space between uh, ideas that neighbor very closely. I feel like, you know, if the spotlight's on, it's easy to see the difference between left and right, but you know, some people just consider concentrates one category or terpenes one category cannabinoids the same. So I think for a lot of, you know, maybe new to middle new users, especially with how many products come when a medical market first hits, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what is rosin, what is full spectrum. And so I like to try to put in sort of a, an index card between two close subjects, I think one of the ones that really got some of the better listens to it was, you know, like a vape breakdown, you know, liquid live resin versus distillate versus a CO2 extraction. So people could at least understand that the pricing really doesn't show as much as the formula does. And also knowing how much energy goes into growing the plant, it shows a lot more respect, I feel, to being able to discern exactly why people work so hard to make a butter versus a sugar versus a sauce and mean it versus when people just throw terms around with no definition. Um, so a lot of times it's product breakdown, I think. But uh, for me, I get the most excited when it's more on the um, sort of medical breakdown or how it applies to biology, you know, one system versus another, or even CB1 versus CB2 receptor so that people can understand, you know calling it one system, it's better really think of all the pieces, you know the devil's in the details in that way.
0: more interesting about those I thought you did was on monomolecular pharmacology versus um, the entourage effect. Do you want to touch a little bit about that and for people that don't know um, the usda or the fda rather basically requires most drug products to pass uh, if there's multiple components to it they have to individually test each individual one as an isolate and its side effects on the human body um, what they can't just blend it in most cases uh, and, and to have it tested to pass for medical so you might have a wonderful product that works synergistically with each other but would not necessarily be um, a positive experience or positive health effects uh, if it was taken individually and not in a synergistic way. There's quite a few examples of this, especially with terpenes. Some of the different terpenes can actually be quite toxic if they're not taken with some of the others. Um, so it's certainly an area of concern. Um, uh, do you wanna to touch a little bit on this and, and you know what you covered in your episode?
2: Oh, absolutely. And funny enough, this has a a relatability to a very recent episode and even more so recent topic in the news, which was, uh, you know, raw cannabinoids and fighting COVID uh, access to the cell. Um, You know, whenever we find good data, uh, I love to really not only look at the article, which hopefully represents it semi realistically, but to dig down into the actual media that shows the numbers. You know, usually it's a very, very heavily worded scientific test. And what you realize is the way that these tests are performed, as you alluded to, is kind of the most bastardized version of a test you can perform. Uh, One of the med pros who works in the company I work for now, uh, for Verano, um, he used to perform some of the lab tests. And he said, if they're lab rats, they're very sick. I mean, they're albino. So they're already kind of a mutant species on their own. Um, And generally, when they perform the test, even on living tissue, they give it one drug until it dies. And then they just figure out where that point is. So they're not really trying to perform tests in the same way that we do. And, uh, what I looked at, which was the entourage effect, um, as opposed to giving somebody a collection of cannabis related molecules, maybe synthesized or in a purified form to see how they interact together in living tissue. I think it was, they took a rat cell and they had extracted human cannabinoid receptors and sort of Frankenstein them in. And then they threw in a synthetic cannabinoid, like Win nine, nine, two, um, They threw in a non-synthetic and a couple of terpenes, and they said they didn't seem to mingle very well. So I guess the entourage effect is bullshit. And to me, you know, Frankenstein's creature is not the greatest way to start experimentation. I kind of feel, especially with cannabis, like you're going to find probably the most willing populace to be tested on. So in some ways, I wonder why we have to kill so many rats to get to the point of just getting a room full of potheads to raise their hand. But a lot of times these articles are the basis of so many opinions in the political spectrum or in the medical spectrum, people refer to these headlines without ever really digging deep to figure out how, how applicable it can be. And at this point, I don't think they've ever tested truly the entourage effect. It's all been one color at a time at a thousand percent concentration.
0: That's really, that's really awesome. I know I've found, especially make, with sublingual powders, um, the right CBD to THC ratio is really good for seizures, but if they don't re- respond to that, we've had very good response rate by adding linalool at small percentages as well. That, those three in combination seems to work very well for seizure suppression. Um, there's also other terpene compounds that I know other seizure patients have found. I, I don't know the different combinations off, offhand, but I know that there's different versions that different seizure patients are finding are, are highly beneficial. Um, There's also, uh, which I think is kind of, you know, ultimately where a lot of the stuff is headed towards is is these different ratio combinations for the, based on cannabis. Um, uh, You see this a lot with people that find um, uh, certain cultivars being, you know, highly effective against whatever ails them uh, versus others. So it's certainly an area of study that we need a a lot more on and something that kind of is slowly being mapped out thanks to, you know, all these different efforts all over the place. Israel's done a lot of uh, study on a lot of this different stuff as well. Um, but I thought that was very interesting uh, uh, that you touched on that because it's certainly something that, uh, you know, needs to be spoken on more. And we, we got to get that law changed. That's There's just no reason for this. This doesn't serve any, you know, pur- purpose in terms of um, uh, efficacy testing or, uh, you know, ethical testing either.
2: Yeah, this one. Um, and I, it's, a, it's a borrowed word, I swear. Um, Ahmed Pro I talked to said it's there's a biphasic nature to a lot of this. And and I had been mentioning uh, you know, some tests I'd done with my cat because she's at an age where she definitely needs some supplements and went right to omega-3s, something that I think, especially since you guys deal with a lot of uh, fish-related items, you see a lot of omega-3 come up in those discussions. And as I did, you know, a very basic amount of research into the nutrition value of it, they mentioned this biphasic nature where if you have too much omega-6 to omega-3, it's inflammatory, cancer-causing, you know, kind of ruining your body and out of balance. But if you get closer to a two to one, all of a sudden it's anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory. And each person, I feel like just almost like a favorite color, a favorite uh, flavor has a different key of unlocking these ingredients in a certain ratio on a certain notch of the spectrum. And it really is potentially hyper-individualized, just like food is at this point, you know, just like clothing is, you know, we dress ourselves in a way which is unique, although it's still kind of rearranging things. I think cannabis really has a similarity to the human experience in that way, where it's so much variety every time it performs that there's a way of being able to match up you know, your spectrum and your cannabis so that they can really balance each other and, and kind of help promote health. Whereas I think a lot of times in testing, if you're going to do it in an unbalanced way, you're only gonna prove unbalanced data. So, you know, it, it barely ever really speaks to growing the market as much as preventing or giving ammunition to more so the naysayers.
0: Yeah, and actually, uh, since we're talking about funky profiles, I wanted to throw this up at some point in the conversation, but this seems like a good organic place to put it. Um, <laughs> check this out. So this is a shout out to Bain at Vertica. It's an aquaponic grown, woke stomper. Um, not the highest total terpenes, uh, but the number one terpene is transner, ner, Uh The second one's beta-cariophyllene. Third one's lemonine, Fourth one is uh, cisneridol. Fourth or fifth one is humulene uh sixth one was Little uh, and then mercine this i've never seen a terp profile like that it's, it's that like upside down. down yeah exactly it's really weird if awesome was in there then it really truly would be like <laughs> you know all the weird ones uh, but it, i just i found this so intriguing and and it man does this just rock the shit out of me uh, I, this hits harder than, than a lot of dabs do to me off of a bong rip from this, like a bong, full bong pack, like it really rings my bell. Uh, I really wanted to just kind of bring that up because I just thought it was so cool and I, I've never seen a profile like this. Uh, the only person that I uh, uh, talked to uh, was Mean Jeans uh, out and, uh, at the conference and he's the only one who's seen anything even close to this. He said some of the lime reserve comes out kind of similar to this, but nothing quite like this. So. Shout out to Bain and the aquaponic weed. Uh, We'll have a bunch available if you guys, not for sale, but you know, if you want to smoke some with me, we're saving some for the um, uh, conference in Oklahoma here at at the end of uh, April. So definitely come and check that out. Um, I'm here, I'll pull up the THC profile on that too, just so if anyone's curious. That is
2: crazy. Yeah, you never really see like Humulene or uh, too many linalool dominant strains. It might be top three, but it's rarely ever, you know, really kissing the top.
0: Yep, but it came in at total twenty nine point six one, and then twenty five percent THC. So you know, pretty well rounded strain
2: all around. Yeah, that is a that is a puncher. Yeah, it is funny, like when uh, you know, same plant but just a slightly different profile. Um, really does seem to just hit from a completely blind angle. You know, makes you feel like you're new again.
0: Yeah, man, that and like banana terps. That's the other one that fucks me up real hard.
2: You know, I, I, this uh,
0: brings your bill.
2: Um, I, for me, um, I, I'm a super sativa girl. So the, the raciest, uh, like you mentioned, osamine, awesome, I, mean, I love seeing that in the top three, um, things that are going to be related to train wreck and not even really in the pine bowl express side. Cause I feel like that's train wreck down one notch, like a diet version, but, um, generally slimer has been one of my favorites, uh, that I've run into recently, a very good pining experience with it, uh, in the PA market. Um, I love sort of putting dynamite in the Ferrari. That's, uh, that's the experience I especially like supercharging the brain. There's something just fascinating about I think pushing humans into an area beyond just okayness. And it's, it's so interesting that, you know, other things that could be used medically are just there to make you feel normal, but cannabis you can use when you are fine, and it can make you feel better than that, and not be doing it in a way that I feel like is just abusive or exploitive in the other way. So um, yeah, for me, it's always living plus, you know, whenever I can get extra energy on top, which is crazy. I feel pretty energetic all the time. Anyway,
0: that was actually one of my questions. What are the current uh, popular cultivars or, or the ones really mainly available in the market, um, uh, out in uh, Pennsylvania these days,
2: you know, it kind of feels like, uh, the, the hot strange drop, uh, on the West and like Colorado to the West side. And then like, three months to six months later, they dribble over to here. So we just got done getting over runts. I think, um, pineapple express was dominating from 2018, probably to 2020. Um, and then now it's all the fruity flavored sounding strains. Lucky charms did really well for a little bit. Um, purple punch, of course, I feel like again, just in a very, like one year behind everybody else, uh, came through, um, And right now we are fighting quite a bit of just marketing relabeling. So uh, a couple of strains that had their original names just being recast, I think Keystone Kush, since where the Keystone state has come through at this point, Um, they started calling Hells OG Heavens OG by some uh, growers to avoid uh, litigation. And we had uh, Illinois strain from Cresco called Joliet Jake. They renamed Sugar Plum Sunset. And so now that one kind of lost a little bit of its culture. But right now, uh, fruit forward um, hybrids, it seems, are the big deal. And I, you know, to the medical class, indicas are always uh, a big one. Bio Jesus dominates that market uh, for whatever reason. And then Hell's OG is always a big mention in there too. Tiger's milk and maybe a little lime store bay from time to time. Oh, yeah. And mimosa, right? Like that, that one also. I think recently uh, we got in the state maybe a year ago and everybody started going nuts for mimosa. We haven't really had any crazy cookies hit hard though
0: most is uh definitely a good one i hate cookies cookies is just one cookies gets pm easier than like every other string if it's heavy cookies cross seems like it always gets pm easier uh, if you're if you're having those issues and then two it's just always has lots of those little nugs and i get why dispo's like them but man is it just like a bitch to trim it's just so more labor intensive to trim than those larger you know proper diet proper nug size strains i don't know some of them aren't so bad but a lot of them cookie strains are really brutal on the. can i ask
2: you a question on pm actually since you mentioned it um so in our market uh since it's still medical restricted they do not allow um the spray of hydrogen peroxide mist
0: yeah, I'd yeah, I had heard
2: that that's a common way to get rid of powdery mildew. Is that true?
0: Yeah. There's actually a commercial product. Um, maybe somebody in chat can remind me which one it is. One of them, the main ingredient is peroxide. I don't like, so the best way to get rid of it is to deal with live biology. So I personally like is a product called cease actually screw mm-hmm. it. I'll just pull it up. Actually, let me turn it off.
1: Okay. This is one of the best commercial products out there right now uh, by BioWorks.
0: BioWorks makes a lot of good products, by the way. All right. So, this is C. So, this is just a strong You ever see a product in the store called Serenade? It's like a yeah. red yeah. bottle. This is like a commercial version of that. It's a little stronger. Um, it's a different strain of Bactylus subtilis, but it's super safe. Um, you know, there's no, there's a four hour re-entry interval, so it's like not a big deal. Um, and, uh, this is what I like a lot. So alternate this, um, and then I'll also alternate as another product called Sonata, um, often made, but I don't like the fact that it's made by bear, but it shit works and it's a biological, so you're kind of stuck.
2: Is there, a, besides using, um, peroxide, our hydrogen peroxide miss. Is there any other way that people deal with PM or do you just lose that plant?
0: So the cream natural farming way to do it is to use um, oh, let me Pull this up here. Well, I could pull up the UK one, but you guys can still see the product um, There we go. So this is the other product I really like For uh, It's called Sonata and this is Bactillus pumilus concentrate. Um, it works really well um, there's another one called DefGuard, but you can use in a pinch. Um, that's a Bactylus amyloliquefaciens that works really well um, for uh, for that. Uh, and then Lactobacillus, if you're going to do pre-natural farming, it works incredibly well. Um, the f- problem is is that Lactobacillus you don't really want to use in flour um, because they can. If you're doing just blind CFU count, it'll absolutely grow on that agar. So you want to use it in veg and not in flour because you're going to fail your microbial tests and it won't be because it's bad it's just you know, shows up that way yeah it's also kind of acidic so you might burn your pestles um, which could be you make the weed unsightly uh, potentially Um, so that's why you don't really want to use labs and flour but great for veg probably the single best thing to use in veg Um, should all annihilate pm Uh, but the biggest thing too is making sure you have bioavailable silica uh, dosing with like uh, aloe extracts, aloe vera extracts, or um, uh, uh, if you're using pH up for any of your solutions using a potassium silicate uh, is another good one that uh, is you know, pretty quickly available. Um, but a, sil- a salicylic acid is, is kind of your, your um, that you can get from uh, uh, things like aloe. And there's, what's the other one? There's another plant that you can get a ton of it from. It's Coot always talks about it and it's escaping me at the moment, but um, that, that would be what the source that I would look at for silica, it's just cheap. You can get that aloe powder at a really reasonable price and the bioavailability is, is pretty high. Um, you can also add that to lactobacillus so you can take things like aloe vera and just mash it down and put it into your, your labs and make like a plant lab, the same way you make like an FPJ, except you just do it when you combine your lactobacillus species and your milk at that point of combination, that's when you would modify it there. Uh, willow is another good one, uh, Mike said in chat, and that's absolutely right. We used to. My grandmother used to have me and some of the other neighborhood kids pick the new willow shoots, and then she would steep that, and then we'd use that as cloning gel. Um, I don't know quite the preparation method that she used, but I knew that we had to pick all those, and she she did something. I don't remember. She pressed it. I don't. I don't know the actual process. I don't think I ever paid attention because I was just a kid. Uh, but uh, we used to use that for, for cloning gel. We used to do all kinds of stuff: fermented nightshade leaves for pesticides to kill the Japanese beetles. And that worked really well, uh, especially the grape. They attacked the shit out of the grapes there in the Philly area. So uh, yeah, we were
2: infested with those every year. My building's like just covered in red and black bud. So I wish so, I could but, use that on the building.
0: So what does work really good against that is IPMO, uh, which is, um, uh, so are you familiar with uh, IMO from Korean Natural Farming? No, no, not. Okay, hold on. I'll we'll just do a little well
2: oh, please, uh, please.
0: Uh sure. Let me pull up something here.
1: Oh I don't yeah, that'll work. So see if I have a slide on this. I'm just gonna throw a slide up a little bit easier. I'm going to have a
0: whole separate video on this out soon, so. I'll be looking for it. Let me find the thing here. Okay, so I don't have an IMO1 collection in this, but I can explain the IPMO, and then that'll probably be easier. So,
1: Chris Trump talked about this in the show
0: before, but, Basically, you're going to take target insect or insect frass and then using insect frass and target insect to get to 30% of So if we're going to make a kilo of rice, we're going to take 300 grams of insect frass and insects uh, into 700 grams of rice. You're going to mix it together. You're going to cook it um, until it's about, you know, half, two thirds cooked. Then you're going to strain it really well. You're going to put it in your IMO collection box. Uh, which is a wooden box that has slats in the bottom of it that allows local microbes to get in contact with whatever you have in the box, but kind of still tries to keep a bit of a barrier to keep rodents and things out. Um, uh, what you do then is you put the boxes out in a, um, an area underneath a tree where there's lots of natural vegetation, lots of leaf litter, uh, a good natural spot that is isn't a healthy forested area or healthy garden area that's been established for a long long time, because that's where you're gonna have all those local microbes. You then can collect that um, uh, mix after five days or so. You wanna make sure there's a a cover above it just to keep the rain off of it, but you do want it to breathe. Um, I have different slides I'll show on that if you want me to pull it up. Um, but basically you set that box out. Once you collect that, uh, you have a bunch of local fungi that will f- love to feed on insect carapaces. Uh, so if you can collect a bunch of the Japanese beetles, use them instead of insect frass, uh, you, as long as you get to that one one third ratio. Right. Um, and then you basically use them to collect the local fungi that feed on them. Uh, then you can uh, mi- uh, mix that 50% with r- uh, brown sugar to lock out the oxygen and maybe even 52 to 53% sugar. Um, so you wanna, uh, so that you you basically have equal parts or slightly more sugar than equal parts uh, of the IMO1 collection. Uh, and you mix that all together and that stabilizes it, shelf stabilizes it. So you have that for up to three years that's good for, it, that you can scoop out and then brew up a batch of those local fungal spores uh, that you've now preserved uh, uh, in, in that sugar solution to use as a spray this is a uh, caterpillar that was on one of our uh, plants after we sprayed and it just obliterated them
2: yeah completely it's yeah, like a so, bad star trek episode
0: <laughs> and he's covered in spores that can affect other caterpillars which is cool um so this allowed us to do that so we did this in zimbabwe with grasshoppers and it worked really well we're doing we did this last year out here in oklahoma it worked really well so this is kind of a tech that's kind of been Kind of an r d thing to make sure it really worked before we, before we talked about it. it was chris trump came up with this uh, originally um this this is not my idea i don't i don't claim credit i just i've worked with this quite a bit thanks to him um but he came up with this he had a batch of imo that he was making into imo3 and they found weevils in some of the the whatever the material was that they were using for it and he just said ah screw it we'll just we'll just use it anyway it's going to get hot it'll kill him it doesn't matter Uh, And then what he found was when they got it to IMO4, all the little weevils were covered in a, look like popcorn. They were so covered in this predatory fungi uh, that did it. So uh, if you need the quick and dirty, you can do straight to IMO2 like we talked about where you cut it with the sugar and now it's shelf stable. And then you can teaspoon that out as you need it uh, to make your sprays. Or you can take that and mix it with a bunch of um, uh, wood chips and green. Uh, uh, to to turn it into an IMO3, and then you can uh, turn that. And once those microbes take hold, it'll start to heat up. You have to turn it and keep it at the right temperature to convert it into an IMO4. Um, But that actually is a little bit better for liquid IMO, but you can convert either liquid IMO4 or IMO4 and IMO2 uh, into um, these uh, uh, liquid IMO. So you take some of that, uh, like we talked about the sugar solution from IMO2 Put yeah, that yeah. into just a, a vat a, like a five gallon bucket or whatever else you're going to do to brew up for your anti um insect sprays and then just brew it for uh you know 12 to 24 hours so you can mark, wake those microbes back up and then apply to your garden uh, and it works very very well uh at treating large-scale stuff it works really good at outdoor grows because you can collect your stuff and um uh yeah i think actually i was going to show in one other side but i think i'll wait uh uh until we cover that later
2: no uh, that's pretty awesome yeah i was not uh, not aware of uh predatory microorganism that's that's definitely going on my list of deep dives to go into the internet and get stuck in a hole on the,
0: super cool. this is the downside is you do have to be careful around bees they can uh, screw your stuff up yeah yeah so cross just be careful if you have yeah so if you have a bunch of tomatoes or cucumbers and flour or something like maybe don't use this near the flowers. Um, Just use it on the other parts of the plant. Just be careful around flower structures because you will kill your bees as well.
2: Yeah, now we need bees.
0: Yeah, so it's just a word of caution that it's not totally like hyper-targeted towards bad insects, right? So just keep that in mind um, when you're using it in application. So, uh, and what time of day you maybe apply it, maybe apply it once the sun goes down to really reduce your chance of bees uh, and things like that if you're doing an outdoor grow. I love this for large scale outdoor growth. So if we have acres and acres and acres, I can carpet bomb the whole place with the local back fungi that kill all the bugs there. And it really knocks down the larger ones. So your large grasshoppers, caterpillars, butterflies, um, those larger arthropods that are typically harder to kill with other biological treatments. You know, Unless you have a large arthropods like um, you know, uh, assassin bugs or, or to a lesser extent aureus, they can kill stuff much larger than them. Um, they're kind of not a ton of answers. Uh, I mean, there's a few biologicals, but they're not quite as good. Nothing works as good as that.
2: That's incredible. incredible. Now, I think what they use a lot in uh, our market, the only one that's approved through the DOH is uh, organic neem oil. And outside of that, as far as a pesticide, I think the good growers try to use mites most of the time, but because of the scale of the indoor, I think a lot of them even when I was reading up on, on uh, what you had mentioned on your website, saying that uh, certain hydroponic uh, like pH shifting agents will have antibacterial stuff to help clear drip lines. And I've wondered as well, like, yeah, how much do you have to sort of sacrifice that attention just for scale in certain instances?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to pull up the other deck that I have. I'll find it here in a second Um, on uh, that has some of the more KNF stuff in it. But um, actually, I could just pull it from here. But uh, just so you can see a better idea of what I'm talking about, but check out the videos from Chris Trump if you want to learn more from about this. He has a whole guide on natural farming, tons of videos on all these topics, like four hour, like forty minute breakdowns in each step and everything. Um, whereas I kind of teach all the quick and dirty stuff. <laughs> People, uh, especially commercial growers, don't always want to spend a ton of time on their, uh, their stuff here. So, okay, so we'll just go through this a little bit. Um, So this is your IMO one. So you can see here, you're going to take the rice, you're going to cook it until it's a uh, Like Chris says al dente uh, pasta, (laughs) but kind of 70, 75% finished, not fully finished. Uh, Drain it so it's kind of, you know, uh, uh, mostly cooked, but still a little bit stiff. Then you're going to put it in your IMO boxes and then set it out. And it should look like this or this. It should look like a little white forest. You can have some color in it. Um, You just don't want too much green. Too much green is too much trichoderma, um, which is not good. Uh, A little bit of pink or orange or things like that is okay. Uh, A little bit of blue is okay, just not too much. You know, not, as long as it's no more than, you know, three to 5%, then you're okay. Um, but if it's too much, then, you know, just throw it away, do a new collection, that's fine. Um, and what you want to do is you want to set out six or 10 boxes at a time when you do this. Um, you know, the more collections you can do, the better. And then try to do at least one a month, uh, if, or maybe two collections a month if you can, because then you can get the microbes from different uh, parts of the year. Uh, which help you, you can kind of jump start the garden at the beginning of the year and, and things like that uh, in terms of microbial uh, balance in your soil and using local microbes. The black is just um, where some of the rice is, is eaten, the stuff down, and it produced a little bit of metabolites. It can be a little gray too, that's okay. And then you have IMO2. This is the IMO2. So this is what I was talking about. So now we've collected it after five days and it looks really nice. So we're going to take that and mix it with equal weight of sugar or sometimes we'll do two to, you know, just a little bit more sugar, slightly more. Uh, And then we're going to mix it all together uh, and it'll look like this. And then once it settles, it'll kind of look like this. Be a little bit of rice left, but not much. Um, That's why you do want to put it into like a paint strainer or something when you're what's it called put it in like a paint strainer or something when you're brewing it you don't want to necessarily pour it right in um, but yeah hopefully that gives you an idea this will kind of turn more liquidy as it gets time for those microbes to kind of stabilize
2: right so you said the brown sugar starts to limit oxygen in that stage when you add it and that's where the stability comes from because if it yeah. ferments usually that's off gassing does this does this need to be burped in any way or does it build pressure or does it just kind of stay on sure. its own
0: yeah, so you leave the lid on, but you leave it cracked enough to where it can burp if it needs to. Um, that's why I like using these cheese ball containers because the lids work really good for that. And uh, it gives me an excuse to buy cheese balls. And, <laughs> and also, too, like you can do a couple collections and fill it up and then label it and, like, here, here's this January and February or, or whatever. And that it just, they're make good storage containers long term. Plus, I hate Very throwing enough. in large useful containers, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They, there's only, they're only useful if we figure them out. I know this, uh, one woman, uh, one of the managers of the dispensary, she makes a butt ton of kombucha. I feel like she just might be willing to do this for fun.
0: <laughs> um, and then your liquid IMO, I'll throw this up. Um, so you would do again, something very similar to this, um, Uh, Again, you can do it without the labs. You can do it with the labs. Um, I know not all recipes do this, but this is specifically for aquaponics. I like adding the labs as well. Uh, And then brewing this for, you know, anywhere from 12 to 36 hours. Um, You don't have to do it quite as long as what I have on here, but just gives you an idea of, um, you know, a mix. You can also feed a little rice flour too. The extra starch helps, helps brew them up.
2: And yeah, that's, no, that's easy enough to follow for it. That's super helpful. Yeah. I was not aware that that's, that's awesome to, to know a little bit more about that. So the one thing um, I do
0: want to mention is that for the IPMO, the one with the insect frass, you do not add labs, labs can potentially kill off the the fungi. So don't ever use labs with that, uh, application. Um, that would be the one thing I would subtract for that. That what I showed is a maintenance mix for aquaponics. Uh, i just kind of, kind of give you an idea of of how you'd go about it. Um, I kind of, I should have showed a different one. I have a better one in the slide deck. This one. Well, this can just give you an idea of what it can do. So this, this plant that was put in here was like 18 hours in the system, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, sitting above the water. And this is what it shot down in 18 hours. Uh, It's such a On the roots, and then this is what that plant looked like uh, about two months later. Wow. Um, but we use the liquid IMO all the time for um, again maintaining system health in aquaponics. Kind of fills in a lot of the mineralization gaps uh, that normally are people have, uh, you know, just never introduced into their systems.
2: And that is fascinating. Uh, is it used in any uh, large food applications currently? The the aquaponics approach. Has it been adopted by any larger scale ones on on that side of it
0: yeah so actually the lactobacillus stuff especially as well we've used to treat e coli so we end up with this non-human pathogenic uh, e coli just soil E. Coli, coli that sometimes tests it gives us false positives and then they have to go test the speed you know get it further tested to ensure food safety um and it becomes a problem for some facilities but there's a two lettuce facilities and one cannabis facility that have tested hot for that and we managed to treat them completely Uh, within 30 days uh, with just lactobacillus and nothing else. Um, So, you you know, a lot of these things offer solutions that there's no other solution on the market that would allow you to not lose the nutrient cycle and the mineralization cycling in your system and then still treat the E. coli. So I think this is truly, I think in five or 10 years from now, you'll see lactobacillus be required for aquaponics and potentially even hydroponics just strictly for... um, food safety reasons. You know, it really does make a lot of sense. It has lots of vitamin B compounds in it, so it can help make your plants grow faster. Um, Humans are 70%-ish of our microbiome as octobacillus species uh, in terms of, (laughs) what is it, by weight or whatever. So uh, uh, this is, it makes a ton of sense that it helps uh, with that. And then also, um, just like Mike's saying in chat, the more um, microbes you have in the root system, the more uh, secondary metabolites the plant's going to produce because it's exposed to more types of, of microbes to try and make you know defenses against, or at least prepare for, for you know, the, the possibility of it. So um, that adding the things like the liquid uh, IMO from the local forest collections really does help kind of stimulate that plant even further and pr- really slam those terpenes. If you're trying to hit those 3%, 4%, 5% terpene values, that's how you do it. You've got to really get those ultra microbial diverse Uh, Soil systems, living soil, or aquaponics, or some combination thereof, like we like with dual root zones. um, uh, That's really where you're going to have a ton of advantages. And then even some of the other stuff, I'll I'll throw this up just because uh, um, we were talking about some of the other lactobacillus stuff. This is um, labs. so this is lactobacillus with spirulina and uh, kelp extract that we make in order to uh, make a growth accelerator um, version of labs. um, it's a, a super interesting um, you know, thing. I have a video I'm working on that as well, working on kind of a little K&F video series with a bunch of stuff that's kind of not out yet. Um, but, and then you can also do it with the insect frass as well. You can la- use labs with frass um, and, uh, and, and make the uh, chitinase available on that as well. So, or make, not chitinase, but you can, you can break down the chitin so the plants make chitinase right away. Um, and it makes the plants react to it really strongly. Uh, make it think it's under insect attack when you water that in so it's good stuff there's all different ways that we're able to organically start playing with these hormones uh, that we haven't um, there you go mike west says the best weed in canada he's seen has been the aquaponic weed so nice Mm
2: -hmm. you know i i saw something a a quote on your website that said uh, aquaponics produce some of the smoothest weed and i I was kind of wondering how would you if you had to put a list of criteria what makes weed smooth or what makes it harsh? Do, is it down to a certain nutrient, chemical, molecule, or way it's treated when it's growing?
0: A lot of it has to do with the cure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's usually with it. But usually it's just, does it make you cough or not? Is it really like, uh, is it harsh or not? I'm trying to define, think of how to define it other than like wanting to cough or just have an unpleasant mouthfeel maybe is another way to, uh, to define it other than just the the inducing of coughing um, do you think
2: there's something that that weed that uh, makes people cough more there's a way of guaranteeing like oh if you screw up this step it'll make it shift harsher or this step seems to always smoothen like the product or add some smoothness to it
0: Sure. so I think what it is is and, and this is just a theory but I think it's and living soil is very similar as well is you're not running super high. Parts per million nutrient values in in the plant at any one time there it's running low ones that are hyper bioavailable, uh, and that's really the one of the reasons why I think aquaponics tastes better than hydroponics. Uh, aside from having those extra microbial um, stimulants on the on the production and secondary metabolite production, is just the fact that you don't have to run very high nutrient levels most of the time to to hit. Um, you know we're looking at usually a, a third to a quarter of the nutrient values of hydroponics for most things. Not so much micronutrients because those are pretty much you can't really change those. They're pretty hardly defined in, in the plant. But certainly the macros are running much much lower um, than others. And then we've also did some interesting studies of silica and, and how that um, really helps with heat resistance and bolting and fox tailing and, and and reducing a lot of those those issues as well as increasing the cold resistance, um, which is interesting. So um, definitely something yeah. that I think people kind of underlook on um, the nutrient side. But also you know. Um, but to answer your question on the harshness, certainly, uh, um, you know, overdosing this nutrient and that the plant overstoring some of those in the plants themselves and it just gives it a not pleasant taste. Uh, or, you know, stuff that just isn't cured long enough, the extra chlorophyll until it has a chance to break down is not pleasant to taste. Um, but uh, I think that's really comes down to fertigation. And, and I think that's also why people, you know, flushed back so much back in the day. Um, was because they you know, were running crazy ppm levels. I mean, there's the guys from what is it, uh, three light or four light or whatever it is. They're running like three thousand ppm's or twenty eight hundred ppm's. Yeah, I'm sure that stuff tastes great.
2: Um, <laughs> Burns straight to like a weird black soot instead of like an ash. Right?
0: Um, but you can get you can trick the plants in doing a lot of these crazy things with things like um, you know uh, malted barley or. Um, the insect frass uh, ferments and, thing, and insect frass IMO collections. That's another thing with the fungi with that insect frass makes hyperavailable uh, chitin you know, and chitinase from that mushroom. So because uh, uh, that's what we're basically collecting is the fungal, the fungal portion of it. So uh, even the ones that aren't, you know, the predatory ones that are, are going to be there for a pest control are still, you know, providing that hyperavailable, uh, 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 you know, uh, stuff in that way. So it just kind of further benefits the plant and stimulates its immune system because when the plant detects that it thinks oh those insects are on i need to increase my defenses which means i need more terpenes um and this is again this is this kind of stuff that people people try to sell stuff for terps and it's like yeah but that's not really going to do that much right like you know there's a bud sweeteners and all that shit. And it's like that doesn't do anything
2: <laughs> it has to want to make them it seems to be the case
0: what's the selection on pest controls in the, in the stores there? I know that certainly was an issue when I go, I work in Georgia as well. And we have a bitch of a time getting any of the good products locally. We have to basically order everything online because there aren't any good, um, you know, pest control agents that are safe to work with. Is that uh-huh. still there or are they getting a little better?
2: Uh, from what I can tell, it's still pretty much the case. Um, I think the only place I've even seen neem oils is at like a hippie store up in Quakertown. Um, but outside of that, um, a lot of them are very difficult to get. I think the the rules that they have, even between growers, is it kind of forces a little bit of that like trade secreting. And so I think most things pretty much have to come from out of state at this point. Uh, we had had the biggest um, sort of, I guess, headline uh, one of the uh, companies, and again, uh, in no way an insult to them, it just literally was in the news. Um, Standard Farms. Uh, maybe like two years ago was found with, um, non-compliant, they were doing a hydrogen peroxide spray. And of course, when it's in a state where it's not allowed, everybody has these stories. They like to tell about what it's doing and, oh, well, it's not bad if you vape it, but what if you combust it? And all of a sudden, you know, people are talking about sensitivity to cannabis and the flu-like symptoms and stuff and all thinking it's either because there's neem oil on it and it wasn't in street weed or because they were spraying it and not telling anybody uh, you know, I think the company denied it, but three ex-CEOs, and it was just the left and right. The funniest part was the, uh, the guy who sprayed it uh, submitted the invoice. <laughs> and so like you know, it didn't really matter about the gossip anymore. But that was probably the most that had bubbled up, kind of showing the level of like lack of discussion going on. Um, we have a company called Insa that are a bunch of organic dairy farmers from Wisconsin and Massachusetts. And uh, I got to talk to them briefly, uh, and they seem to have that same pattern of approach that i'd say you kind of uh say as well of just like wanting to make the cleanest and strongest plant that they possibly can as opposed to wanting to make the most possible plant that they can specifically and so uh, it was a breath of fresh air but seeing that they came from organics in a different area you know and in farming since there's a lot more hormones with animal treatment especially uh it seemed like they wanted a breath of fresh so uh, i could tell from some of them it's uh still a little young. I think we're probably two years off from a wreck market because Jersey goes wreck. A lot of people think of the next three months. And that's just kind of crazy to think you can go, go down the shore and, uh, and now you can buy a nickel bag from a store instead of that weird kid on the boardwalk.
0: Like if you look at all, if you have dreads, you'll pull you over at the shore. I got pulled over and like doing 26 and the 35 stuck between too many. said <laughs> I was speeding. And I was like, we both know you're full of shit. Um, I've also had to go drive down to Atlantic uh, Ocean City and bail friends out of jail um, and and all that stuff. But uh, but yeah, um,
2: you know, I got I got to see this one. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes vacation in some some car enthusiasm on YouTube. And I was I was kind of happy in a way, because as we know, like if you fit the description right, you're just going to have to deal with a little bit more attention than you want to most nights. And it's these two Australian guys who are really into V-dubs. And they went to Germany for like their big trip of like, we just want to see where they're made. And they're pretty much just, you know, in their 30 somethings, 40 somethings, salt and pepper, backwards hat and hoodie still. But in Germany, those are what drug dealers look like. Even though in our culture, it's like bros kind of a little bit sometimes. So they went to Germany and got pulled over like an insane amount of time because they matched the description. And they, for the first time, were like, oh, shit, it really is like a thing. And I was like, yeah, you come to America, uh, you look a little bit less employed or a little bit happy with your life. uh, They'll figure out how to make that smile turn upside down.
0: Oh, yeah. And then also, like, I'm sure you've had the same experience. Airports are fun. <laughs> um, you know, you always get randomly searched uh and all that fun shit. So you just get oh used to it. And then uh threads block the density scanner. So even if you get scanned, they're still gonna pat you down. So you might as well just be uh opt out and just go straight to the pat down. Plus if you're yeah, gonna all right. that money, you might you might as well get felt up, right? Like I mean shit.
2: <laughs> Pay for people to touch you. It used to be called a massage.
0: Right. Gotta yeah, if up. you ever
2: thought that you didn't want people to touch your hair, don't get dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah, every, just,
0: know, everyone will come up and just touch them, especially drunk women.
2: Mm-hmm. Yank them right off your your, your dome. I went to, uh, you know, when I was a, a little bit younger, my sister was a bit older than me, I went to Buffalo, and I think there was like an Anything Goes dance club. And funny enough, that time, I probably sounded like a, most sorority girls. I was like, I'm just here to dance. <laughs> One of the rare times in my life. And uh, I remember somebody pulled my dreadlocks like they were ringing a bell and i swooped around just like what the hell was that for you know it was whiplash it was like i just wanted to see if they were real it's like you can ask the face questions that they're on like it's always an option i think some lady actually grabbed them when i held the door during covid and it was just one of those things where i was like i can't get you out of my hair and i don't say that because it's a good thing
0: right I think it's funny too people always ask if they're real and it's like no i have waist length dreads that are weave <laughs> right like and then you have you have like some women that have like really nice weaves and they're kind of like jealous because yours is long and real i've had that <laughs> happen too women get real mad at me for like no reason samson that. style yeah it's just funny
2: it's funny because your beard is almost getting to the same point where somebody's gonna start yanking on that i guess huh?
0: It used to be a lot longer, but I had a whole power tool incident that was almost really bad. So I keep it trimmed at least to a certain length now.
2: You know, funny <laughs> enough, dreadlocks, when I first got them, were an answer to that same problem. Um, I was in my early 20s a machinist, and I had a, a pretty respectable fro. But every time you lean into a big machine, you're like, I can't tell how far out I am. And it doesn't take much to, like, torque your face off. So I, I went to dread, so I knew where it was. And then, of course, then the dreads got long enough where I believe at one job where I used to fix guitars, um, I burned more hair than soldering wire because it was just always flopping right into the soup. Every time you put your head down, just hair hair in your workspace.
0: Somebody else in chat says they always like to smoke a fat J so they reek while they patch down at the airport. I do the same thing, my brother. <laughs> somebody somebody else asked in chat if they could put labs in their, in their aquaponic system. Yes, we actually dose lactobacillus to treat and do maintenance at one to one thousand ratio so one gallon per thousand gallons of system volume um let me uh jump back to my questions here um, what has been some of your most memorable episodes or topics that you've covered today
2: Ooh, well um i did a recent one i wouldn't say uh memories that i want to keep but um I unfortunately got a a dose of Omicron right after the new year, which took me out for a little bit. Um, But I'd say in those moments, sometimes I'd rather capture the experience than wait until I'm like back to a professional level. It's a torture because I don't like the idea that just because you create things for the internet that like your personal life has to start to become part of it. But I felt especially because I knew I was going to absolutely human test cannabis the whole time that I might as well at least kind of take one for the team and just show sometimes an educated, sometimes an absolutely risky guess of like, oh, our dabs worth it when your upper respiratory is fucked up right now. Um, just to be able to, you know, not necessarily show the perfect try, but just a very human attempt at like, can you maintain comfort while going through some of these areas? Um, so in that way, I I really did enjoy being able to provide the view from the bottom as opposed to the view from the top. But um, for me, I'd say um, some of the recent interviews, I just talked to a guy, Jared Kesselman, and he's been working out West for 20 years. It was just amazing to hear the ideas from somebody who had already went through all of the shifts in personality and uh, is this going to be my last job? Am I going to get blacklisted all the way to like, now I have family and extended family who are going to know about it. And so to see somebody who had kind of went through, you know, a whole generation of cannabis already and still working in it, it was For me, very interesting because I'm, you know, three, four, five years into this market Uh, from the employment side, 15 years from now, will I feel the same exuberance about all the topic matter? Will I feel just as encouraged to want to spread it or, you know, does politics and the slow growth of business beat you down a little bit? Um, So it was awesome to hear that for most people. And what I would assume is the case is you sometimes just, it builds your passion even more, but you get to actually utilize it more effectively, as opposed to just kind of yelling it out there and just hoping, you know, you're not screaming in a vacuum. It felt like, you know, he got into consulting. I saw that you do consulting as well. And it really does seem like the right area to think about the future of cannabis, really people helping people have an easier time than we might have getting into it. So um, that episode for me was a lot fulfilling, you know, even being just a content creator or podcaster or in my job as a trainer. Um, to know that it wasn't necessarily something that I was going to want to, f- you know, abandon 10 years from now, just because.
0: Yeah, I certainly didn't think uh, sling after slinging it growing up. Well, maybe not growing up, but certainly going from slinging eighths, uh back in Philly, allegedly in this book I'm writing to uh, <laughs> uh, do what I do now. I mean, shit, I got a chance to go to Jamaica? I'll be going back to Jamaica here later in the year. Uh, and then also to Africa, we'll be headed back to Africa at some point this year as well. So like, really kind of going from, you know, small, um, you know, small scale growing to uh, travel in the world, doing this stuff. It's really awesome to kind of never would have thought, certainly never thought I'd be living in Oklahoma at any point in my life. I'll tell you that.
2: <laughs> you know, I haven't been to many places, but I have been to Oklahoma. And I have been to Kansas a lot. My dad was a military guy. And so I just remember staring out of a Four Seasons Motel at a Food Lion uh, I would, though age inappropriate, but definitely the perfect time to just smoke weed and look at cornfields because there's not a whole lot else. And I'm just used to the rolling hills of PA, you know, like it's, you can't imagine how flat it is sometimes in other areas of the country.
0: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I used to, I don't know if you went up to the, the Poconos, I used to trap hawks up and up by Wing gap I Used to band them. So those, I mean, they have quite the little mountain range there in Pennsylvania, not huge, but they're, they're not little either.
2: Yeah, we got dumped on. Uh, pretty nice, I think. Actually, because you mentioned you were traveling in it, did you get caught in the most recent snowstorm? I guess that went across the country.
0: I flew in the, during the big. It was freezing rain when I landed, enough to where the back door of the car was sh- frozen shut. So, uh, it was already started. And we, you know, I'll tell you what. He he, braked real early on that runway in case he started sliding and needed more. Because we, I've never stopped about halfway down our runway before like he did that. That was definitely a new experience. But uh yeah it was it was definitely a bit of a crosswind and quite a bit of turbulence landing that's for sure
2: yeah, i was glad it hit here but only did about three to six inches uh however the middle of the state and this time you know that vein you know they got like dumped like a foot to two feet uh showing once again you know they're not the biggest mountains but they you don't want to get lost up there and the allegheny or the appalachian mountain trail is uh it's a thing
0: oh yeah i just i hiked a whole lot of the appalachian trail there and it's a really, really wonderful place that people don't really talk about a whole lot on the East Coast. Uh, people talk about how beautiful the West is, but the East has got a lot of amazing forests as well that are still preserved. And shoot, I go down to Georgia and there's a whole bunch of Northern Georgia is permanently preserved as, as basically forest land and will never be built on. So it's beautiful down there. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a treasure that people don't talk about enough on the East. Everyone talks about going down the shore, but I uh, not. You know, <laughs> mountains
2: and they're beautiful yeah i mean it's it's some of the things i think that uh i wouldn't say completely miss i mean you know i'm always going to like being on the more legal side of cannabis but um sort of when you're younger and it was more legal um, having to find places and it was usually always places that were more natural than than human because you didn't want to run into authority figures so i think you know some of the greatest experiences of exploration were hey we absolutely want to consume this form a crop circle and get crazy but uh like let's journey out away from where you know humans have really touched as often and you get to see things whether or not they were real but you know imagine sometimes and and have experiences i think that cemented in that same feeling of curiosity sometimes now it's like just go outside and smoke weed instead of inside why it's like it's just nice to change the setting you know
0: So you had touched on um, a little CBD trial that you did on yourself. Um, Do you want to touch on that and kind of what maybe your synopsis on the results? That was a cool episode.
2: Oh yeah. No, uh, thanks for bringing that in. Um, I would say that uh, like a lot of folks, CBD is like a awesome cousin of THC that I'm sure you want to meet, but I already know THC. So like it's all right. CBD can be over there and I don't mind when it's mixed in. I've always enjoyed CBD strains. I think in our state we have Harlequin, uh Alien Rock Candy, Martian Monkey, and Harla Sioux uh, come out from time to time that have some CBD mixed in, but it's, you know, probably 5% of the market at the absolute most. So, like a lot of folks, I'm a THC 90, 95% of the time user. Um, a company contacted me called Chill Frog CBD, uh, and they said, Hey, do you want to kind of just do some affiliate marketing? And for me, you know, in the cannabis world, you really can't monetize very often. It violates every policy on every social media. So, um, was excited at least to get the opportunity to start working with some business and, uh, hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to one of their extractors as well, just to learn more. So I said, yeah, I'll, but I got to test it. You know, I don't think it's fair to sell things you don't use. And I have no intention of doing that ever. Uh, in anything that I do, hopefully moving forward. So, uh, I grabbed a month supply and ran myself through it and, had my theory exactly as to what might happen. You know, I'd heard plenty of things, taught plenty of med pros about, you know, the potential of CBD and they had taught me even more. Um, and then ran through November uh, of this past year of 2021, um, taking just one 33 milligram CBD gummy a day. Uh, I think these had melatonin added to them in a small form to try to help with your sleep cycle. Melatonin is one of the, I think it actually is the only unregulated hormone in the United States. So uh, you know, hormone doesn't necessarily mean scary thing, but it doesn't always work the way it's intended for every biology and every pathology. So for me, I knew there was gonna be a test to it, but love human testing. I ran through it with four other people I knew, my wife, uh, my mom, and my best friend and his wife. Uh, so that way I knew nobody was gonna lie about the results or tell me, oh yeah, it was great because you're Scott and I just want to give you support. I really wanted to know, you know, diet changes, digestional changes, sleep patterns, pain, inflammation thought process, emotional intelligence, anything that might change. And uh, I think just because I'm one who tries to pay attention and and push things as far as I can, I may have gotten some of the greatest benefit. Uh, My wife got a similarly amazing benefit. And then the other two folks who did it actually got a benefit, but it was more interruptive because their schedule is about raising their kid. So they can't always do what's best for their health. Like most parents understand it's a sacrifice. Um, But for me, you know, I thought maybe I'd sleep a little bit better maybe I'd be you know, a little less aggravated uh, from the pain in my body from like a lifelong back injury from breakdancing. So I earned it the right way, at least. Um, but unfortunately, or I'd say, fortunately, um, I, it blew away everything I thought CBD could do. It had really mended this tension I could not relieve in my body on my left side, which at this point had been two straight decades, unquestionably changed my sleep, sitting, standing, laying down, and it really complicated life in a way that at this point I was just fine with that accepted sort of like, it wasn't so bad. I could say it was crippling, but you know, it's just because I know there's people who's dealing with a lot worse. Um, So it freed up just so much energy, my sleep improved. Uh, I even felt that there was areas of my emotionality and response that I was able to sort of access with a truer energy uh, as opposed to just react, you know, even if you're mature, Your reactions might be practiced, but to really be able to get in there and move around the tiny pieces of exactly like how your personality might function or how you might learn certain things uh, was incredible. You know, that, that journey into self-analysis of the mind also just unexpected um, because I just thought it was, you know, it's calming. I'd probably done a max test of 2000 milligrams of CBD in a day. And yeah, it just feels like you're waiting to go to sleep sort of in the corner of your thinking. It wasn't anything to write home about. So knowing the more vitamin approach to it of a consistent everyday use was sort of just under perception. You know, I still use it at this point. I've pretty much took like a two week break uh, and immediately realized there was nothing worth trying because the benefits were so incredible and had to improve my life that living plus I'd looked for without really the knee braiding side, because I could still use THC. And the one thing I'd say to anybody who might feel that that's interesting enough to try, um, generally they say CBD blocks THC, you know, and you might have to dose higher uh, forms of THC to be able to kind of deal with that defense. Uh, And it reset a lot of my tolerance. Like I was probably, you know, six months from a good tea break, no need. I could take CBD and just get on way higher in a very strange, but ultimately synergistic way. So in that, it really did tell there's a lot more to the entourage that even I had understood knowing most of the modern science, you know, pretty well. And to me, that meant you really can't guess it. It, it helps in such amazing ways.
0: It's really good to hear. You also covered CBN a little bit, which uh, I think is something that people need to learn more about. And I think it's kind of a good kind of a replacement for melatonin in some cases, but can be very, very good for, I know when I get really bad back pain and stuff, sometimes most in a while, that shit helps me a lot for actually getting to sleep Um, But I I do fear it can be abused if it was dosed um, in high doses, uh, especially if someone wasn't aware of that's what they were taking. I think, you know, the potential for abuse there is there. And it's definitely something I worry about with some of the CBN products. I know we always intentionally only do five milligrams per gram by volume, because if you take enough to really put yourself down, you're going to know that you ate a lot of volume of something, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a, a good safety mechanism for, for people making those products. But um, what, uh, did you have any other interesting findings in your show on that?
2: Yeah, I found that um, for what seems to be a lot of folks like yourself who, who are really aware of, of what cannabinoids can do, we all kind of feel like CBN is that, like, you know, a very, very great sleep aid And potent enough where, yeah, if you get your ratios off, a little bit can really send you over. It's interesting, I think, when you look online, you do not find nearly as much um, recommendation in that way. It seems, you know, they haven't really found the right rat to be able to give CBN to. But it's, you know, I think a lot of the testing that they really try to do in cannabis is to create responsibility, you know, to fight against the idea that it's it's safe as people think it is. For some reason, science hates thinking that it could actually be safer than not. Um, And CBN is one of the ones where I think in our market, there are no, eh, I probably can't say no. I think there's like two CBN products. So it's been underutilized from a product standpoint. Um, I see a lot more out in the West. Um, Do you see products that are stronger than, um, than the five milligram program that you guys uh, formulate out?
0: Oh yeah. There's some very, in my opinion, recklessly dosed products in Oklahoma. I mean, you used to be able to get 4,500 milligram chocolate bars. I think they limit it to a thousand milligrams now, but it used to be like, unless wow. you unless you have like back surgery recently or something like, you don't need a 4,200 milligram chocolate bar. Like what 4,500 milligram <laughs> chocolate bar? Like, that's just, come on. Like I get why people do it, but like, who's eating that? That like, unless you're in a ton of pain or, or something else. I know when I hurt my back, I, I twisted my sacrum and my spine and my, um, uh, pulled all my rib heads out, uh, on my left side, just about. And I was taking 3000 milligrams a day, but I didn't take any opioids. They wanted to, they gave me a prescription for it. And I was like, I'm not going on that shit. I don't want to take that shit. And that got me through. And then I was able to drop so after about two or three weeks down to 2000 milligrams uh, a day. And then, um, uh, you know, slowly like get down to, you know, 200, 500 and 250 and all that, but it took a while. Um, And that, that I get, and that's why I still think there always needs to be a medical program that allows these higher dosage stuff, but not 4,000 milligrams. You know, I think that anything, do you really need more than a thousand milligrams in a thing? We don't. Longer.
2: yeah that's so out of balance for the body like that's that's going to create other problems with longevity like if you keep at that you know you're you might just stop producing cannabinoids on your own because that's just even if that was cbd that would be like just too much you know outside of as you said you know really injury treatment
0: and then the other thing too like canada went the other extreme right the legal limit for canada for edibles is 10 milligrams per per dose right so like that's too too <laughs> low that's crazy like what what are you doing
2: it's
0: a you tickle. <laughs> if you do a lot of bioavailability stuff with it, you can still make it hit enough for most people to feel it. But that's just way too low. And if you're a can't, you know, if you're a medical patient, that's not going to do shit. Where you're going to take like three hundred dollars worth per dose just because they want to make it all in ten milligram packages, and then all the plastic and all the it's just and all the packaging and just it's just no fucking reason for it. You know, crazy. Yeah. Pretty-
2: oh, I agree. Uh, it's it's funny. I recently just bought some. Uh animal CBD. I'm about to run my cat through a secondary trial. We did the omegas and it went well. So now let's see how CBD does for her hips. And it was like 50 bucks for a 125 milligram bottle. And so I was like, okay, let me just assume that there's a formulation where you added in pet specific things, or naturally, I'm just hoping, you know, more than anything else. And it's just a binder, you know, like MCT and cannabis oil. And I very quickly was like, although I wouldn't want to necessarily give my animals medical products that are designed for human consumption, I don't believe the design means anything between these. They just mixed it into a vehicle and sold it at like a four times premium of what you could buy in any other market because it's pets and you put cute images on it. And I felt once again, this thing of like marketing versus medicine.
0: Crazy too. I mean, should, the last time I bought bulk CBD, it was like 700 a pound per, or 700 a kilo uh for the isolate so like that's you know a thousand Full grams world.
2: yeah uh. <laughs> yeah it's just crumbs that they were really fishing out of it and so i was like all right I, just the one time because it said it but now i'm just going to make my own formulations as i know i should have uh just to at least test that theory but wasn't the same felt a little bit strange um knowing that it's should be very cheap
0: you also touched on some, uh, some of the other interesting episodes that you had on your show is you touched on some interesting receptor stuff. From, uh, I guess the first one I'll ask you about is you touched on the TRVP1 receptor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I haven't heard anyone really do much coverage on that. And I thought that was uh, something kind of cool and unique to your show. I wanted to touch on.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's probably my favorite. Um, I mean, it's not a cannabinoid receptor, but the TRPV1 It's like trans cation channel version receptor one. They do seem to pay by the letter. Um, But it's also known really as the capsaicin receptor. And in the way that, you know, cannabis oil, THC, CBD, and things like that, as we know, come from uh, the cannabis trichomes. uh, In a hot pepper, the thing that makes hot peppers hot and irritants, you know, the thing that is in pepper spray when you spray other people is... uh, you know, the seed oil usually that comes from hot peppers, which is capsaicin. Uh, At a time I worked in a restaurant, um, Lee's Hoagie House that was near us. Um, They would kind of add capsaicin depending on how hot you wanted your wings. So it wasn't a different pepper. It was actually just pure hot pepper oil. You know, it's clear, odorless, very, very irritating thing. And um, when I started doing some studying into receptor science and me not being necessarily a med pro... I realized, you know, it's very hard to understand exactly what the target is of this information. You know, it's written so complexly and um, it's written in, in a way where it's just explorative. So you're always wondering what the application would be. And is there a way I could potentially make this really land in my personal life? Because I want to use these things. You know, I want to use them uh, to be able to hopefully benefit my habits or my behaviors or, you know, my health ultimately. So you know, CB1 and CB2 seem to really take up a lot of space. And you can find some information about the human endocannabinoid system. And you'll find CB3, I think what they call GPR55. And you'll find information about even what they theorize as CB4 and CB5, although we're years behind human testing in any of the situation due to the federal laws. So then off in the corner, I see that capsaicin is used as a medical treatment. There's like a like an over-the-counter thing, or it might be a prescribed one called capsaicin, I believe, spelled a little differently. And being a hot pepper fan and a hot foods fan, I'd run into the whole Scoville units measuring system of jalapenos to ghost peppers. And I finally thought that maybe now that this TRPV1 receptor was in my view, maybe there's a way I could actually figure out if all this information is true, if it makes sense, because reading on it really just makes you feel like you're memorizing things. You're not really understanding them. So uh, lo and behold, it said that certain cannabinoids go to the TRPV1 receptor and change how it operates. But the weirdest thing I thought when I read about what that receptor is responsible for, you know, receptors are multifunctional switches. It's, it's less like a doorbell and more like an iPhone home button where it can, it can do many things depending on what the screen wants, right? It can open a program or close it. It can, you know, turn off your phone or wake it back up. So it all kind of depends on what you're doing as far as what it's going to do to you. And i had probably spent enough time as a teenager, you know, getting into a great headspace and eating the hottest wings we could afford just to see if we would survive. And it always seemed that cannabis was a factor as far as, you know, our endurance of that heat and our ability to really sustain uh, whether or not we could take it. So I did a little bit of a test uh, on the TRPV1 receptor where we ate the hottest chip in the world, the hot chip challenge by the company Packy they did not pay us anything for it. And I was actually, I felt a bit of fright because it seems that cannabis can go to that receptor and change its behavior. But this had not really been anything that I could find any other information on. You know, they had not really tested cannabis and hot peppers quite yet. It's years away. Um, And so my theory was, if you eat really hot food and then use cannabis, can it bail you out of a bad situation? And I was surprised to see that the interactions that were described on these websites and thick language uh did come to fruition uh and much like the cbd trial it actually worked a whole lot better than i would have thought we literally had like a big old trash can right next to me uh and the gentleman steve i did it with um just in case we puked you know because we thought this could go really south we are eating the hottest chip filled with the hottest peppers in the world and that's got to mean something you know even if it's just for the internet a little bit and uh so we tried everything. I think we used a salve that was non-transdermal, uh, you know, a couple rollables and bowlables. Uh, we had a little RSO tincture with us made by Moxie at the time. Uh, we also had uh preloaded Puffco Peak so we can get a quick dab in there. And we started after, I think, one solid minute of waiting. And every single type of cannabis we used alleviated the pain and irritation measurably and additively to the next one, you know, initially your, your lips are just feeling like a scorpion pepper staining in the corner of your mouth and a little bit of salve on there. You looked a little ridiculous, but you were just down to like vinegar levels of heat, you know, from like uh Pete's hot sauce, Texas Pete, uh, you know, as soon as our throat started to burn and every little puff on the blunt would alleviate the burden a little bit or distract it. And the dabs would double down on the throat side of it a little RSO tincture swig, and all of a sudden your teeth weren't hot anymore and your gums weren't irritated. And I think by about three and a half minutes in, we were both just on a route to a very, very thick high and not feeling too bothered. We went about 22 minutes without drinking or eating anything. All we did is use cannabis. And at that point we were, I think, so uh, elevated and so hungry that we just ended it there and said, fuck it. You know what? what I, I had bagels and cream cheese just in case it got too hot the kind of the, the real intense version of cookies and milk uh, and some bonbons and uh, cream puffs. And I think we just ended up enjoying them instead of having to bail out. So for me, once again, that kind of live testing, that human approach uh, is what I'm all about. And a couple of weird things on the TRPv1, because dab sweats are a thing, right? And some people do run into them. if you, uh, if you take a couple healthy dabs, sometimes I'll send you erupt in sweat, although usually using cannabis kind of drops the body temperature initially a little bit. And this was something that I thought was a really weird phenomenon. Uh, And it really seems to be that capsaicin receptor. It makes you sweat when you're stressed, when you work out and you get hot, when it's hot outside and when you dab really, really hard. Uh, It seems that you just hit that one switch and it starts to let the water and saline out of your body. So uh, for me, that kind of experiment especially was, was really fun. One of my favorite episodes too, because when you can really utilize the information practically in life... I now know that if you ever just hit me with pepper spray, just find me some marijuana, my friend. I'll be good in about three and a half minutes.
0: The reason to bring your pop coat to the protest, you know?
2: <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of. <laughs> yeah, pop- an absolute good reason too.
0: You actually mentioned the my other follow-up question to the, the stuff that I wanted to touch on because again, you do have some really cool, unique content on your show is one of the reasons why I want to get you on. You touched on the CB three and CB five, CB four and possibly CB five receptors. Can you talk tell us a bit more about that? That's really interesting and something I had never heard of before uh, listening to your content.
2: Yeah, so CB one and CB two are pretty much the uh, the ketchup and mustard of of cannabis right now, and they have been studied for quite a few years. But you know, human testing is uh, of course always going to be a bit distant. So, you know, after looking at enough data. Um, I ran across what they call the G protein receptor group. It is what the cannabinoid receptors are. There's apparently four overall types of receptors, but uh, the biggest one that we especially focus on are the G protein ones, since they are the cannabinoid focused ones. And after reading enough about CB1 and CB2, you know, they say CB1 is kind of the head nervous system. CB2 is more the gut ish, but they're everywhere. You know, I started to read about these uh, orphan receptors, as they call them, receptors that are uncategorized, sort of, you know, they don't really know where to put them as far as their functionality, but they understand a little bit about where they are or a little bit uh, about how they contribute to our bodies. And GPR-55, G-protein receptor number 55, has been studied quite a bit and it seems to be a place that cannabis likes to go. But they always say that it isn't that it goes there that matters, it's that if it primarily goes there, if it's its home receptor. And so, uh, you know, as probably over the last three or four years, GPR55 kind of went from the theoretical CB3 to what a lot of things now say are, yeah, we pretty much accept it as the CB3 receptor. And now they're modeling what CB4 and CB5 might be. Uh, What a lot of this I think comes from isn't so much them kind of, you know, taking a cell and picking little freckles off of it to see what they do. They seem to finally be embracing the idea that the endocannabinoid system is like an actual part of our health. Uh, A lot of people describe it as the conductor. If all of our organs are players in that band and that orchestra, the ECS is what makes them all work together well. So imagine if your car broke its timing belt, everything's still working, but in no way with the other systems. And then your car eventually overheats. And in our bodies, it seems that cannabis really is helping manage the dance between all of our organs and how they act and when they need to act. And so as they kind of started looking at the whole system, it wasn't so much of them picking little receptors as, as them actually starting to look at our endocannabinoids and just figuring out where they're going and then actually valuing those spots. So things like 2-AG, things like um, anandamide, they started chasing those a little bit and, and taking a little more seriously where they ended up. And so now in some writing, you can see you know, the GPR receptors that they're classifying all the way up to CB5. They don't have a great idea of like, well, if it does X here, it does Y over here. But they seem to be assigning other categories because they realize CB1 and CB2 do not explain nearly as much of the complexity of the experience. So they realized, yeah, maybe we need more keys on this keyboard. We can't just type this story with just five letters.
0: Well, that and like there's certain things that you can add to cannabis too that seem to have a dramatic effect on on uptake as well. I know there's two different things um, that I've worked with that, and I'm do- not talking about lecithins and things like that, I'm talking about like other herbs that have compounds in it. That um, there's a compound, hold on, let me find the name of it.
2: Yeah, I've actually had some experiences with some really like uh, raw teas, you know, like ones where it's just ground up and thrown in. And had like, oh, I don't feel like this is just marijuana affecting me in this moment. You know, uh, dosing and drinking uh, some high quality teas at the same time. Rose hips, I feel honestly can put you into a state.
0: There's a, I'm trying to find the, I know the plant, but I'm trying to find the compound because I'd rather discuss the compound here in two seconds. But there's a specific plant that actually has a, a really interesting, um, Uh, synergistic effect with cannabis that that can make you know 10 or 20 milligrams just hit you like 250 milligrams like it just shit out of you Um, the same way that like a lot of people don't realize ssris can be highly synergistic with with cannabinoids and increase cannabinoid uptake the other one that people often don't find out until they do this accidentally is antihistamines a lot of antihistamines it will actually increase cannabinoid uptake as well and make you really high if you're like broke as shit you take a benadryl <laughs> and, and you smoke your blunt amids, mids you will be high as shit
2: <laughs> seems to open it right up
0: oh yeah um uh, but uh you know i think it's interesting we don't understand any of that i think because there's, there's next to no literature on any on those types of topics even milk derived if you take and you take kefir and you add um, uh, like a cannabis oil or cannabis base to it, it will fuck you up a lot more than that same milligram otherwise, otherwise would. It's like another that you can make all kinds of cool, like fruity kefirs uh, that are really good for you, but it'll get you fucking lit for your workout. You know, it's, it's really good.
2: Yeah. Looking up only really briefly. Cause I remember uh, one of the times I'd taken CBD randomly, I had like a, a super strange night. I dabbed up, drank some, Rose hip laden tea, and then looking up rose hips just on the medical side. Uh, it's a good source of vitamin C, also great for osteoarthritis and pain after surgery. Other conditions as well, but no good scientific evidence to support. So naturally, you know, we got to test ourselves. But uh, it was very introspective. I would say reminiscent of like, you know, indica-style terpene feeling, kind of couch-locked in a chair, just asking the weirdest questions, exploring parts of the mind, whether or not you want to. And it was one of those things where I realized, you know, there's something to be done here. And in that same, I thought immediately, I'm making tea. I'm just putting plants that have a lot of terpene content into hot water at decarboxylation temperature. And then I move the plant mat. I'm just, I'm just extracting terps, man. Like at the end of the day, it just made me feel like I've just been doing this without cannabis involved since I was a kid, you know, just adult
1: tea. I think
0: someone's going to make a mids and Benadryl meme. <laughs> I'll be talking about it in chat. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> it was just like an old ghetto thing we used to do back in the day. Like, whatever, not everybody had money all the time when they were young. Like, I mean, was- that's
2: why we got in a Salvia hub. We mentioned before we got on, like, we, we yeah. were like, oh man, we got like some high mids. And then somebody's mentioned Salvia is up in, uh by, in, new hope at the time and we went it and started to like mix it down and it did get you a different headspace i wouldn't say you were higher but you were definitely in a different zone than you were on just mids
0: oh yeah there's definitely a couple of cool actually there's multiple i don't know if they're still open but there used to be multiple really cool apothecary shops and they would have like any herb that you wanted like shit you've never fucking heard of and and if you wanted an herb you could just put it in order and they could get it in like fucking anything. So if you wanted to brew up something crazy or you want to work on some experiment or you want to, you know, work on some synthesis or something you could get damn near anything you want to do. It was wonderful.
2: Got to explore. I feel like there's one in Ambler, which is not too far from me. Uh, and yeah, she, she is uh, absolutely an expert in a lot of those. Like, what is that called? 72 X 12. Is that a Russian flower? Like, all right. Yeah. I'm into that you know, finding really getting, bringing back ancient medicine to the modern world.
0: Yeah, it was also really cool too. If you wanted to make your own herbal medicines, you know, you could actually get access to most of the shit that you needed in one in one stop without, you know, if you find out someone's sick or something, you could just run down there, grab the shit you needed and come back and make your stuff and then run it over to them. And it was just really, really good. Someone mentioned pine needle tea. You have to be very careful with pine needle tea and make sure you get the right type of pine tree. Uh, not every type of pine tree is actually, uh, some of them are actually quite toxic if you do that. Um, but the general rule of thumb is you want pine trees. So imagine if that my, like this branch is the needle, you want to have single needles. If you have the double needles with the same connection point, those are the ones you want to avoid. Those are the, that family and that group is the ones that have that uh, and, and that are poisonous. So um, really good for vitamin C, but uh, make sure you pick it from the right type of, um uh, tree or you can have a bad experience uh, just to teach a lot of herbalism uh, and uh, definitely it was one of the rules of thumb that we would teach people
2: you know there's a um, a pine barrens honey that I was able to get from a local apiary and uh, it was f- from Jersey Pine barrens naturally they unfortunately stopped selling it but we still had a little bit left and it was literally I think my wife had a headache and one spoonful I mentioned like, well, you know, is a bronchodilator. You just got to get it through like a good source and, and good bioavailability. And boom, immediately sinuses cleared up and her headache went away. And I was like, well, the power of appropriate pining.
0: Yeah, so the, the highest pining that I've ever had so far was definitely in Zimbabwe. There's some stuff in the hills there on the border with Mozambique up in Nyanga that was really, really piney, like crazy piney. Um, but they're all longer flowering sativas, so that wouldn't work too great in that climate where you are. But uh, maybe in the pine bears, the pine bears doesn't really freeze till real, real late. But maybe the Jersey Devil will come steal your crop,
2: <laughs> I'm sure one of them would. <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, the, the strain I have loaded up in my Puffco uh tonight is some Thai sap and it is limiting pine dominant, which is my personal. Usually I find limiting terpenylene for whatever reason, PA comes out after the summer with like really high terpenylene extracts and strains. It just seems to dominate. I don't know if it's just moist indoor growing conditions or what, but you can't get away from it. And in our first year, it was a lot more, you're either going to get mercene bombs or you're going to get these like lemon pinene mixtures, which seem to have kind of went by the wayside a little bit. But I know for me, you know, if I, even if I don't know the genetics, those are the labs that get me the most excited. And osamine, of course, but they had barely test for it in PA.
0: Yeah, it is so strange to me um, how different the testing is from state to state. Um, it really is bizarre that you know the variance in it. And the other thing too is, like, I still can't believe that they haven't done something on the federal level. Um, it will be the one of the things that, and I kind of almost dread that happening, and I think a lot of people do. But I think one of the benefits of it is we'll have federal standards for testing. Um, so we'll have good baselines. Um, uh, what questions did you have for me? I know you talked to the beginning that you had a couple of questions yourself. Uh, give me two seconds to let my dogs in, but I can hear you uh, just over there for, uh, out of camera view. Um,
2: oh, absolutely. Um, well, uh, the one thing uh, when you first contacted me that I was interested in hearing from you, um, you know, you've been running your podcast for two to three times longer than I've been in the media side of things. And I was wondering at this phase, I mean, you know, if you almost had 300 episodes, that's an incredible library of information you've created. Um, does it feel different than when you started, when you approach it now? Does it feel like you have uh, more support? You know, like what are the things that you think about now versus then? Uh, is it still yelling in a vacuum or does it feel like you're sometimes hitting the game winning st- score kind of thing when you're um, producing content and putting it out?
0: Sure. So the show has definitely evolved. Um, I think we had a much more structured show in the beginning. We had segments that we tried to do all the time. uh, And that just took a lot of time to put together uh, and all that. And then also, um, uh, we had a lot more panelists uh, in the beginning. And I think that it was kind of fun when we did it. But I think I kind of like having just one or two side panelists now and having a smaller group of people that are... um, uh, a little more experienced with with these type of interviews we normally have fumidor he's busy this evening but normally fumidor is with us he has his own show uh, a chronic table really awesome show on, on Tuesdays Wednesdays and Saturdays um, uh, that uh, is you know very experienced also he has like a radio voice so that kind of helps too uh, and then Marty is usually on the show uh, and then sometimes he has to step out for the kiddos and stuff but uh, uh, he's on the show him and I have been doing the show for a long time, but. Um, you know, we kind of limited down the the number of of guests. Sometimes Coot joins us, Clackamas Coot will join us on uh, as a a side panelist too. Um, But uh, I think I like it having more one-on-one interviews with just the guests, hyper-focused on the topic. Sometimes we'll have a little bit of of runoff at the end or we'll kind of jam out with the the stuff. But I think we used to have a much more panel atmosphere. And I think that kind of sometimes wasn't the best with some of the guests Um, and, um, you know, I think it works better with this format. So that was one thing that's changed. Two, I think now I'm I'm much more able to I kind of have a bunch of different ideas for questions and kind of think about interviews differently so it's a little easier like i, I need you to, to do a little bit of background on people i don't know but if someone already knows someone really well half the time i hardly have anything written beforehand but i already in my head have a bunch of questions or since the last time i've talked i've heard them talk about different stuff on their shows and we'll just kind of run through a bunch of cool shit or hey i know they're an expert on this one thing and they love talking about it so and people are interested in that thing and uh and just let them run i think that's the other thing too is finding good guests and it's almost like looking at um, how well they are as a guest as well. I think some people, uh, there's one or two people I can think of that are super brilliant, but they're just not good at all in terms of you kind of have to really pull stuff out of them. It makes different interviews not very good, so we've, um, uh, I wouldn't have them on as a guest, but they're highly knowledgeable, whereas other people like Coot or Dr. Efron or, or some of these other guys, you ask them one question and, then, you know, 45 minutes later, you ask the next question. <laughs> it's like, the, you know, it's really, really nice to just hear someone's train of thought and a full way of thinking on a topic or uh, asking experts on something that's kind of just way off in a different side field. I like to kind of like combine, like I love to combine KNF and aquaponics and living soil or using aquaculture just to irrigate large-scale living soil. We've seen a huge... Increase uh, in microbial and yield. Um, there's a bunch of slides. Uh, if you look at the Aquilatos um, uh, presentation from the uh, Acapulco conference, um, she taught, has a bunch of slides on exact comparisons. But they were seeing 50% increase in yields uh, in some cases, and a uh, like 17% increase in terpenes, and a 37% and I forget like uh, what the other percentage was increase in THC like really, really dramatic increases in, in, oh, uh, in yields. Hold on, I might, do I have that? Yeah, here, I'll throw it up because I think I have those slides. Yeah, I do. Hold on, I can put the exact numbers up. And this is uh, all credit to uh, Danielle up at Aquilitas. They're one of the Canadian companies. Uh, it's funny Canadian. too.
2: if. If you just develop a product that does that, you'd charge people more for those kind of gains per product, obviously. so
0: There you go. So in the one side by side, this is a compost. Uh, they just ran the regular water and then compost and living really good, rich, um, you know, super soil, living super soil. So they had a 37 or 3.7% increase and a 20.4% increase in THC. 14.3% increase in terpenes and 16.1% increase in terpenes. Again, this is against living soil uh, versus with and without aqua, aquaponic nutrients. Um, so that's that's the only difference. Uh, and then, but this wasn't in aquaponics. This was using in soil. Uh, and then dry weight yield at square foot was 37.1% and 21.3%. And then total dry yield was 53% and 20% increase. So that's that's a huge difference.
1: Yeah. That is
2: across
0: the board. It's
2: a whole different outcome. Yeah. Damn. 53%. Hey. Holy moly. So, um, since I know that aquaponics is based in fish soil, do you theorize or have you ever run into any other type of, of, um, nutrient base? Since I know, you know, uh, fish is the base of this one that you think might do even better than fish, or do you feel that that's, probably one of the best sources at this point.
0: So if I was strictly using it for fertilizer, I think the one other good contender, although there, it's a little bit harder to run larger systems with them and collect the waste right away. Um, But uh, shrimp systems, uh, crayfish and stuff like that have a a very well-rounded plant waste. Um, The problem is, is that I can't run them in a closed loop because the potassium levels and stuff that we run for cannabis is way outside of their range. Uh, and just wouldn't work. It would kill them. So um, cool if you're going to do decoupled or just separate the fish waste and irrigate with it. Um, Wonderful, probably even better than fish, but fish, uh, especially if you diversify your fish species a little bit, really do have a really good base that can give you, you know, the vast majority of the nutrients you need. You still occasionally have to boost a little bit of your micronutrients, um, silica, calcium, and iron will all have to be, you know, get depleted by the plants, or or in iron's case, oxidized. It has to be available in that bioavailable form. Um, Although Quan Con Fem has been working on some interesting plant ferments for iron and having really good success. If you check out episode 251, uh, he's running his systems mainly on plant ferments now without any mineral inputs, which is uh, really interesting and intriguing, especially for third world aquaponic production. Uh, really interested in, in finding more information about that. We're working on the open nutrient project and stuff like that to try and, uh, um, you know, get more info out on that. In fact, do
1: I have this? I do. There we go. So, too many slides, too many slides. There we go.
0: There's the Open Nutrient Project. If anyone wants information on that, shoot me an email. We're currently looking for participants that can contribute. And then we're gonna uh, put this out publicly here soon in a, either a website format or in a, the database on the website format as well. Um, but we have a huge Excel sheet running now that's massive. Um, there's a fuck ton of data uh, in it. Um, yeah, you can see here different plant groups by uh, PPMs content for different nutrients. So potassium, Phosphorus, whatever, all the different plant stuff that's in there as well, all the links to all the original source data, uh, as well as test kits. So, how to test for all of it in soil or aquatics so that you can figure out what you actually created um, and kind of give people all the information in one space because then people can make their own fertilizers and then they don't need people like Monsanto anymore. Uh, They can make their own stuff. But this helps people like my friends in Zimbabwe and my friends all over in Jamaica and everywhere else. We can continue to add plant species to this and build it out and build it out and build it out and actually confirm what a lot of these uh, nutrient parts million numbers are uh, and average it out across different collections. And then this we truly can kind of unlock a lot of this kind of um, knowledge, especially with plant ferments and, and FPJs and, and um, the liquid IMO plant ferments that uh, Chris and I talked about uh, recently with Quant Quang uh, Femme and some of the other cool things. Um, this is really kind of the solution, I think, to a lot of this, especially um, uh, nations that don't have a ton of food, um, not just for soil, but aquaponics as well. It doesn't matter, the nutrients are bioavailable just the same, you know, it's good for both. Um, I think there's certain plants that are definitely going to end up not being good for this, but the vast majority are perfectly fine for this type of application. So uh, it really is kind of an interesting um, project to put, I've been working on and putting together for quite a while and something that will be almost ready to show off publicly uh, uh, here soon. Uh, we're a little bit behind because it's been kind of a wacky month or two, but uh, uh, we've made a huge amount of progress on this database and it's uh, it's massive right now. And I'm excited to share it soon with everybody. But if you're looking to contribute, um, shoot me an email, uh, anybody listening and we'll, uh, we'll get you a, uh, a link to that.
2: So if I can ask, because especially knowing that you have that much uh, vision and, and this has that much application you know it, even though obviously cannabis is a big motivator in this it you know it goes beyond that obviously with a lot of things when you're just dealing with plants in general um so i'm sure it's been frustrating that you've had to run into some social media bs as far as violation of community guidelines and standards sorts of things because cannabis is a part of what you talk about um so a video something i'm about to get into i'm sorry what was it
0: i'm sorry it, it cut out i thought you stopped i apologize go ahead
2: Oh, no, no worries. So I just, uh, I'd been doing something on YouTube for through my previous company. But uh, it's something under my own brand for the US Chamber of Cannabis, and I'm about to launch it. I'm also about a month or two behind of where I wanted to be for it uh, for some tech issues that I ran into. But I'm really looking forward to it. And then in the same respect, looking forward to getting shadow banned potentially or, you know, yanked for violating standards. So I was wondering, since you are ahead of me in those games especially uh have you been banned a bunch has it been more of an uphill battle does it feel like it's against you kind of thing
0: oh yeah um i'm pretty much always suspended on something um like uh instagram has definitely pigged me once in a while i never had my account lost but i've certainly you know whatever given me a warning um facebook i always have one of my accounts in some level suspension because you can't post pretty much anything on there now without getting some kind of shit for it um what else has youtube Uh, been friendly youtube YouTube is damn near axed my channel multiple times and it wasn't until i finally honest to god once i hit ten thousand subscribers suddenly i got treated with a little bit of respect when i emailed them and said hey can you take down these fucking things like this is bullshit like here's the link to the actual website that you're telling me is in violation one of them was mammoth p like mammoth p is not in violation of any of their protocols don't flag me for that Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there was just bullshit. Is that a link to Mammoth P's website? And then, I don't remember. There was a bunch of, like, silly shit like that that they said was in violation. And I was like, this is ridiculous. But I when we hosted the first Aquaponic Cannabis Conference, I almost lost my channel because I had the the different um, people that donated goods for us to give out in there. And it was, like, Mammoth P and Recharge and a couple of others. And, and like, half of the sponsorship got flagged as, um, you know, whatever, whatever. So that's definitely something you can get yourself into trouble in really easily. That's why almost all our guests, I just put their social media links on there because that doesn't seem to get us flagged. Uh, I wish I could put their actual websites and stuff on there. I try to put it in chat. I try to show you guys the website during the episode and the video, but I I, I have to be careful about putting links in the description because it, it jeopardizes the channel and I wish it wasn't that way. But that's certainly a thing but but audio wise i host my stuff on soundcloud because they're really tolerant of cannabis content. so and, and then the rss feed feeds out to everything else and it makes it simple you know if they want to ban me from their podcast thing then it's fine but it's they don't take it down you know it's it's just not distributing on that one platform or whatever um but i think we're on over 500 platforms so i think in total that this rss feed feeds out to for it so that's one of those things you just have to sit down and spend a rainy day just plugging in your RSS and all the different sites.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> um, but other than that, just like, I don't know, as far as the social media stuff, like it's cool to like um, go back and forth with people, but go back and forth with people that are intelligent enough to have a conversation about that. If it's just some Muppet, there's just like blindly just trolling you or something, just fucking ban them, and ignore it. It's no sense and you just like spending three or four hours arguing with someone that's, you know, of low intelligence. Uh, then now if someone is highly intelligent that it can be some of the best people to run ideas off of they're great people i love there's a couple of people that i'm sure consider themselves trolls to me that are wonderful (laughs) if i come up with something it's nice to have them poke holes in and shit that maybe i don't see or think of uh, that could be a consequence of a given idea or or design it's good use them they're like a free a free thing to test ideas on to sharpen your own ideas on like use them to that advantage like absolutely but if someone's clearly like making up bullshit like some of the shit that definitely was going on on in instagram today on, uh, <laughs> on well i won't mention where but there was definitely some comical level bullshit on, on instagram not on my channel but on somebody else's channel was a good friend of mine um of people just pulling shit out of their ass and making ridiculous claims um uh about insect stuff uh, you know there's just no no I don't understand where you, you can't. There's no point in wasting time with someone that's like that far out of reality, right? Um, it's just it's just dumb. So I think that that's kind of one other thing too, where like just learning to like not let that shit get to you and to just make good content and to just you know rather than sit in there arguing with someone, go record another good episode, go book a better guest that uh, that it's going to be interesting and you know. People, you know, that's far better than just sitting there and whining back and forth with people. Um, And certainly something that, you know, I certainly have gotten myself into trouble with in the past. <laughs> I'll fully admit that. But, um, you know, other thing too, like sometimes you got to be careful what your guests say. I've definitely gotten some shit for some stuff my guests have said as well. <laughs> and uh, that can also get you into trouble. So being mindful of that, I guess, a little bit. But, most of the time that's not too much of a problem um you think what else on the podcast stuff just trying to like network with other podcasters and then after a while you just kind of get to make friends with with people and get into cool events and do fun stuff and see new things and get you just you were just talking about going to see a big commercial growth for the first time tell us about that because that's something that i was kind of neat to hear about earlier before we went online
2: oh yeah um I'd say up to this point, you know, I probably had, even though with cannabis for over twenty years, you know, I've probably seen a lot of purple closets uh, and a lot of small tents in like the corners of rooms that wives tolerated or you know was was able to be hidden from RAs and stuff like that. But uh, I went to see a big old grow uh, for Agrikind. Um, it took like three hours. It was so big. It was incredible. Uh, all indoor. Um, funny enough, you know, the smells were so varied. Because like when you're outside of the room and then per room and at each stage of growth, it was just great to see that a lot of the information that i always had in pictures and in theory did make sense. Although, of course, I, it was made sense of for me. It wasn't like you can call out everything as you see it. Um, but in the hallways, it smelled like, um, like the inside of a pumpkin. Like when you're cleaning it during, uh, you know, Halloween season, if you will, and there's like a very wet kind of damp smell to it which I think was kind of interesting is that's the one thing I didn't realize you would smell some like the moisture in the air to some extent um, in some of those grow rooms, but got to see all my favorite strains, lemons, all cookies, blood orange, two ones I love out of their fold. Uh, Not high testers at all, but it's just leaving room for the terps. And um, the one of the interesting things that they mentioned was really one that they had to deal with water purification so much because the water coming out of the municipal was pretty terrible. So it was constantly doing osmosis uh, and reverse osmosis systems. And he mentioned that like, I guess, air conditioning was one of the biggest energy draws on the grid. And something like one of the AC units on the building could easily do a hospital and there were five. And I was like, holy shit balls. So outside of the fact that I used to be in machining, and I I just have a weird fascination, of course, with mechanical things. I was a CNC machinist for years. So I love the idea of workflow and, and how things can fit together so neatly. And then to think of these like, you know, bus sized units, uh, pulling all this air, um, it really gave me a much deeper appreciation. And I already gave so much of an appreciation for cannabis, but just to what depth people are really trying to grow it and make it work in, in certain environments where it could never work either in the wild or due to legal, you know, we don't, we're not allowed to do outdoor grows in PA. And just, you know, their R&D side of it and where they were trying to figure out differences in light spectrum, given how they had to deal with the paint that was on their walls. Uh, It was just every little thing, you know, uh, in the same way that uh, you've gone so deep into just being able to look at the nutrient base of how the plant grows and how you can provide it with the right environment and food. And then somebody out there is nerd out on light strips, you know, and somebody else is out there obviously blowing glass in an artistic way. It was like... You know, I never get to see this and this contributes so much to the end product. Uh, one of the best things was the extraction lab naturally, because I feel like that's really where as a, as a lover of dabs, um, a lot of the magic happens. I finally got to like a jar, just literally of, like $50,000 worth of slab dabs and a big old jar of distillate oil. Uh, and, you know, had seen too many pictures, but finally got to at least really get up on like a, a good old jar of Terps. Um the impact was just, I think almost in the way when I got to talk to other people in industry like yourself and others, it was like, oh, I can definitely stay a while. Even though as a hobbyist or as a connoisseur or as a medical patient, there's always these other reasons why cannabis would be a part of my life. But I never imagined even on its own self-sustain, like not really a career, but as an investment of like work, there's so many facets. If I get bored of the retail side and go to the grow, if you get bored of grow, you can think about extraction and, and there's so much mastery in each part. Um, you know, filled my brain with just ideas and was like this isn't even an appropriate lane for me to be in but oh god i just want to ask if i can help solve this one problem maybe i have a dumb theory that nobody thought of or maybe if i ask the right question i'll learn the thing that will unlock the new piece of knowledge in my mind um i get to see another girl down in florida soon and see a completely different approach to uh how they uh do things and for me, especially now, and hearing things like you mentioned, just to be able to understand a little bit more about when they are mentioning percentage of their nutrient richness, and I hear silica come up a lot. I understand some things about it, but I don't think I understand it in the way it interacts with plants and growth nearly as well as it seems to be mentioned. So for me, it gives me a lot more to look forward to, especially uh, with cannabis, because you know I'm like two or three episodes away from episode 100. I thought like, man, I wonder what the next 100 are going to be like, because you know that's years. You put out one a week. That's you know two more years of life. And where will the market be? And where will I be? And if, funny enough, it does not feel like I'll probably be any more bored. Hopefully, better informed. But you know, if I get to communicate with folks like yourself and and really learn the how deep it goes in certain areas, it just I don't know. There's an energy to it. I'll probably take an hour to get to bed after all this too, just because so much to process and think about. You know
0: yeah it definitely is interesting and the other thing too i would say on the show is like there's definitely been like shitty weeks where like coming on and hanging out with the friends and all the awesome fans that are on here they're super supportive definitely like made my day after a shitty day or whatever like it's definitely one of the other things i wanted to say kind of on the other side because we talked about some of the negatives um that's definitely one of the huge positives is like how much that you know it is kind of nice we've kind of built a huge community um we have over 8,000 members on the Facebook group now, the Algonquin Cannabis Growers. We have, uh, we just hit uh, actually since the last episode, we've hit 12,000 subscribers now uh, on the channel, uh, and we only hit 10,000 like not that long ago. You guys have been awesome helping getting the word out about the channel, um, and uh, yeah, so uh, it really is uh, uh, been a kind of you know really good lately and just awesome you know so much support especially going out to the different conventions and stuff like that people being like oh man i learned this thing on your show and it totally saved my grow or you totally saved me a ton of money on this thing or like this episode was so cool it's so much fun to meet all these different people and i mean shit i can go anywhere in the world now and i can find a bag of weed in like an hour or two i went I got off the plane in Zimbabwe in Harare and I had a bag of weed from someone who listens to my podcast within two hours. That's fucking awesome.
2: That, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like better than awesome. I, whenever I look at the map and, and it's gotta be incredible, I'm sure after that long and, and how many people are, are dedicated listeners to, you to feel like, wow. Like, you know, as I said, like I feel like a dude just smokes weed in a bedroom in Hapro, but there is somebody it potentially, you know, that there is that connection with. And to even know that it's like, you know, multi-continental and you can experience that personally. I know that we mentioned, since you uh, grew up not too far from where I'm at, that if uh, when you're on the side of the of the coast, uh, we potentially also may be able to interact and, and be friendly in that way. And it really does show the community growth to it. And it's kind of funny because I think in other areas, I always tell people, you know, if I was like a Kardashian thong strap, I'd probably have tenfold the followers and you know half of the value of content but in the same way you know people told me don't put cannabis in the name for it you're going to fight uphill against certain things seo is going to suck you know there's ways you can try to make the right package for the algorithm and the system but in a, in a lot of other ways i felt i'd rather not really have to tuck it this time because i think it's about trying to actually do it for people who are looking for it as opposed to doing it to like hide in the corners like we had to and so i think it does bring uh, a lot of a better stigma to what we what's been happening with cannabis. Uh, very, very excited, especially because to see that you actually have people in a lot like just what an incredible thing to be able to have access to and to have grown really because it's not a given. You know, they try to shut it down all the time only adds more value I think to the effort.
0: Oh yeah. Dirt man, Dan lives near you too. Well, maybe the three of us can get together and, uh, and and maybe do a little live or maybe, you know, I'm going to be there on a Thursday. Maybe we could just do a live, uh together and just do like a live uh event somewhere
2: uh, yeah that'd be awesome i got at least three mics i'm sure
0: oh yeah that'd be awesome i can bring some gear too if we need uh he's got gear too all three of us actually <laughs> have recording gear, so that'll, that'll work out fine um but yeah i'll <laughs> talk to dan and see if we can we can do that because that would be really neat kind of have like three different shows all together uh, and and jamming like in person and that would be fucking dope i would uh, be we'll have to do it i think i think it's a plan now um, <laughs> so i'll definitely be uh, look forward to that um uh, did you have any other questions that you wanted to uh, ask about uh podcasting and stuff i'm trying to think if there's anything else that i can think of other than uh, um yeah i don't know It just kind of sometimes it can be a little bit disheartening sometimes some months you're gonna have like not that many new subscribers and it can kind of feel kind of down or maybe you have a couple episodes or like people just aren't feeling it. And that's fine. Just don't give up. I think that's, I've, I've talked two or three other fellow podcasters out of giving up. And, uh, I definitely, all of them still do it now. None of them have, you know, regretted it. So I think that's something else to think about. If you do really kind of get down on it at any point.
2: Yeah. Thankfully at this, uh, this point is, is more of a source of inspiration, but you know, I'm always trying to think, uh, can you maintain, uh, I think there was probably one month during the election cycle that I just took like uh, six weeks off of it because uh, talk about no matter what your politics are, just a fucking crazy election cycle. And I just, at that point was like, I think I just need all my brain space to just process this and stay sane. Uh, and it's all the dip in listenership. And then you had that first feeling of like, should I have just powered through? Like, you know, was this the right move? Do metrics rule all? And I was like, no, I'm just here to provide what you can. And in that way, uh, you know, the intimacy of people willing to spend their time just listening to me flat my lips or, you know, anybody really just spread ideas. Like what a blessing, you know, an absolute just honor to be able to have people willing to waste their time on what I think.
0: It is something too. If you can keep a consistent schedule, definitely it'll help your metrics. As, uh, people listening, uh, try to always keep your same schedule. People get really weird and annoyed and will send you like angry messages if you miss a week. Oh, I know. I just I had people <laughs> messaging me even just last week because we were traveling and shit. And I was like, "You guys know I'm at the conference. Come on, guys. It's, it's a live video on the way there. Come on." Um, anyways, uh, but it's fun. It's funny. That is it's funny. Fun um yeah did you have any other questions
2: uh-, uh that was actually all the questions i had uh for now i have a couple brewing but i think uh i should be able to have you on my show coming up uh this upcoming uh i'm gonna aim for wednesday and so uh mine will be releasing a little bit later on you'll probably be releasing on the back half of the month but um i'm looking forward to having you on so have some questions uh brewing in my head but nothing nothing concrete right now you should- given me a lot to think about
0: a, just a quick glimpse of his stuff over uh, Buzz Sprout.
2: yeah thankfully they've been friendly i haven't had any issues with them hosting it's been smooth sailing and a real easy to use host for it
0: like i said it's got some really cool unique uh, um, uh, content does chat have any questions uh for our guests here tonight uh we got one um, what does he see in the market shifting towards in his area? Flower concentrates, pre-rolls, carts, edibles. Um, that's a great question, actually.
2: Yeah, yeah. Very good question. So uh, we have Jersey, as I mentioned a little earlier on, uh, looks like it's right on the precipice of going wreck. And that's probably going to dictate, I think, a lot of the influence on the state because I'm, I'm right on the Philadelphia side. and. Uh, Pittsburgh doesn't really have so much of a pull from the Ohio side as far as their market. So it'll probably end up kind of moving to the New York, New Jersey preference style. And the big thing with rec markets when they hit is edibles, because we have ingestible cannabis products, I would say, things you can swallow, but none of them are food. Uh, They don't allow it at all to be in the final form factor of food. You can't buy brownies, cookies, things like that. You can just buy capsules or oil-based tinctures, no alcohol-based yet which means they don't really do sublingual at all. It's all pretty much down into the belly. Um, so I think that in the PA market and what you're going to see really move up the East coast as rec starts to sweep towards the upper corner is edibles become a lot more central because finding like gummies, you know, even people moving them up like, you know, because they went on like a good vacation into a weed state. Uh, they're really not as big of a thing here, the chocolate bar kind of game and all that. So I think, If Incredibles puts their big old foothold in the state uh, when it goes wreck, or if they just get Jersey to at least get brand recognition, you're probably going to see a big push on the ingestible edible side. Outside of that, flour dominates the market. It's like 70% of all sales. And I think that's maybe not too uncommon, uh, but PA does have a very, very large appetite for concentrates. And although I don't have enough experience to have created that thought process or description myself, Everything's a new thing in the States I would go to, but I've heard growers mention that not necessarily the consumption of dabs, but the, uh, level of like bitching about terpenes, maybe <laughs> everybody feels like they're an armchair terpene connoisseur. Uh, they said is different. A lot of places usually go for the, you know, I need the highest THC. I need the highest THC and distillate ends up winning, uh, in PA it's a lot more likely you're going to find somebody who still wants to see, You know, sugar at 80 plus percentile, which isn't too hard to find, but they're also going to want their terps at like 11% somehow. Even when the math doesn't even fucking work out, they will still want like 99% THC, 15% terpenes. You know, Um, in our state, they make you test for terpenes on almost every product. So even in Jersey with their medical program, you didn't have to test for it at all. They just averaged the THC and CBD. It made everybody kind of a little bit more of a nerd. So I think in our state flavor is a big, bigger deal than it is in a lot of them. And of course we're starving for edibles too.
0: That's good too. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're talking about the medical part of the product, that's, that's really where you're going to find it is in learning what your terpene profile is that's working best for your, your issues. Um, so that's definitely something that I'm, I'm a big proponent of, um, but I, it can be annoying, uh, from the the producer side, uh, to have to pay for all that extra testing. But, uh, uh, certainly, I think it makes for a better medical market in general. Uh, that's for sure. Um, the, the sublingual stuff—we make a powdered sublingual, which is really awesome, and that's certainly something that uh, uh, I think would be interesting to see in that market as well, if it's not there already. Um, this kind of gives an, uh, an option for this non-oil-based uh, or it has oil in it, but not—you're not just taking a bunch of oil. You know, it's a very small, much smaller dose.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, terpenes definitely are more in focus. And I'm glad that in our program, we were lucky enough where they required it to some extent. What I find because they required it, but only now, I think December, they put out like a, like a 10 o'clock email from the DOH where they pulled or encouraged the pulling of all of the terpene added or terpene enriched products off the market because they weren't sure how much medical benefit they had. Uh, we had had that suspicion as a company for a long time you know even as as users we all kind of felt like uh, they released this one that had almond derived terpenes in it and i know people with nut allergies should not even get close to that and in a medical market it really is not as responsible to allow that so that would have been a good point for them to start but you know two years later they start the investigation a lot of people um although terpenes i think you know champion completely some people try to high score it a little bit too much still unfortunately and there's a level of like a lack of education there because they think if one product has more it's better and it's not you know some combination sometimes more so than just blatant volume um so sometimes they miss that baby with the bathwater
0: yeah it's definitely i mean some of those burpings are not good for you in super high amounts (laughs) at all so um you know the is used as a uh solvents, right? You can actually extract with it in place of butane if you want to. <laughs> it's that kind of insane. So, you know. Yeah, I, I don't really like any of those terp, added terp carts. It tastes horrible to me. I, did, I never understood what the popularity... Maybe the kids that don't have a palate for cannabis like them. Maybe it's like a whiskey thing or you know, an alcohol thing. You kind of have to get used. I don't know. I never understood it.
2: Yeah, it seems kids, more like for vape heads you know people who would like the nicotine market because it's all flavored there there's no such thing as like a raw nicotine vape where you can really taste the tobacco
0: right that's called doha
2: <laughs> if you know what doha?
0: yeah doha you know that
2: no no never heard of that What's that
0: oh, so it's the tip of actually here i'll pull it up it's the t- it's a
1: very special type of tobacco There you go. This is Doha. Oh, damn.
0: It's, it's just a little, it comes in a little tiny thing. You smoke it with this little pipe. You do like little one hitters off of it and it gets wrecked. It's just the tip of the newest growth of the tobacco, like the new the top, a quarter inch or 10th of an inch or whatever. Um, of the, each growth tip of the tobacco leaf, and then they dry it, and it's all grown halal. And um, anyways, there's like a, it's a very specialized, high grade okay, so tobacco. Much. It's like the headies Heddies of the Heddies of, of tobacco.
2: You know, I I initially, in just a high thought, would be like, oh, I wonder if they grade tobacco. And it's like, well, probably, but, you know, maybe in bulk, like they do with certain other things where they don't care too much about quality. But I'm I'm kind of glad, in a way, that there is, like, a high-class tobacco market, even though it's nothing that I'm particularly interested in, but almost them now because they're just taking it so far. It's (laughs) gold-encrusted. It's fucking awesome.
0: If you make doha from... Um, shaman's tobacco they also call it hopi tobacco which is nicotia rustica Um, it's actually mildly hallucinogenic it's it's pretty nice actually Um, but uh, uh, there's a wide range of different tobacco species some of them are smokable some of them aren't Um, don't think just because it's in the nicotia family that it's smokable a lot of people make that mistake in california and have a really bad time but yeah
1: i'd imagine so Yeah.
0: Um the white tea of tobacco. Yes. That is very much it. It's it is the the super headiest of the tobacco. And it'll I mean, if you're not used to it, it'll make it throw up. Like it's very strong. Like you have to take baby hits of it. You don't you don't roast it. You will regret it if you do.
2: <laughs> it said the average user does six grams a day. Yep that's a that's pretty solid for some heady tobacco right there
1: well yeah it's fucking crazy
0: but yeah i don't know i don't uh i don't smoke i've smoked it before and i had a friend of mine who was from libya and he used to get really really high grade um from it and uh, of of this stuff for his shop and he would, you know give me a he'd open up one of them to test with his buddies and stuff and you always give me a little bit to try. That's how I found out about it. But,
2: that is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes, I guess, probably our market tobacco look like swag. Right.
0: Well, uh, unless you had anything else, I think uh, maybe we'll wrap up the show here. I'll put your uh, your Instagram up here again. Be sure to give him a follow. He has a ton of really good content. Again, some interesting and unique content as well, especially with those uh, um, you know, receptors. I think that's definitely uh, some of the more interesting stuff that I've heard in a long time in terms of any of that kind of stuff. I'm sure there's other info out there on that, but i had never heard of anything like that, especially with the capsaicin. Um, and then uh, also his podcast over here on, uh, on Buzzsprout, and then I'm sure on uh, other platforms as well. I know I saw it quite a bit on Google when I search. It looks like you have it uploaded in quite a, other, a few other places as well
2: yeah stitcher apple google all the all the things (laughs) rs feed everywhere you can possibly put it where they let you
0: any pandora has
2: been kind of a dick
0: any other links that you wanted me to throw up
2: uh i'd say uh the the other one to look for uh as there's videos up there right now but uh, it'll be rebranding in the next couple weeks is the u.s chamber of cannabis uh a force i just started on youtube um logo uh pending because i just had about five minutes in paint and i was just like let me just whip this up but uh some videos that i did initially under the uh, old company i used to work for similar just informative you know uh they were a longer format because our video guy didn't want to do much editing but uh it'll be rebranded i'll probably archive them and then start a whole new series um similar to my approach to the podcast but a lot more visual obviously actually the first uh episode of the series where i'm going to call drug tests is uh, what liquid makes the best bong water?
0: I will tell you, vodka, not a good idea.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty harsh.
0: No, so my ex thought it would be a brilliant idea to put really high proof vodka into the hookah. And all of us were so drunk, uh, vaping that or like breathing it in that way that, It was weird because you're like super drunk, but you don't want to vomit because your stomach's not irritated. So it's like a really weird feeling.
2: That does sound strange.
0: But uh, here's his uh, YouTube. that he was talking about.
2: Yeah, some of the content still from the old company. They had a a woman on Project Mindful. So I said I left up what was there and it'll be rebranded soon. But feel free to jump in there. There's uh, a lot of random content but all cannabis focused so that you can uh, know a bit about what's going on in the PA side of things, as well as on the medical side. And uh, as I said, yeah, what liquid makes the best bong water, because I'm thinking of putting up not only, you know, municipal water distilled, uh, you know, to go through temperature cycles, but also like coconut milk, animal milk, vegetable oil. And I thought, although I'm not necessarily a fan of the vapor, but it is a heavy enough oil. I thought, you know, motor oil might be usable, because it's so heavy, it doesn't. It, it boils at 250 and doesn't even steam. But it's really not necessary that we have to put our mouths on. I have a vacuum, thankfully. It's really trying to figure out draw resistance and also how do you even measure what the best bong water is? Is it user comfort? Is it perceived high or is it you know scientific interest?
0: You should add temperature too and do a hot, a warm, and cold.
2: Yeah, funny fun. enough, I run my puffco dry just because I spilled it so many times when I take it along with me. But I, uh, I made a bong once that was, uh, it went through cold then hot. I don't think I got that order right, I'll be honest with you. But it changed I, it.
0: I dated a girl for a long couple of years. Um, and uh, she the reason why I like, was super hardcore into her the moment I met her, she invited me back to her apartment after I met her and we spoke and whatever. And then she pulls a pie, homemade piecrete bong out of the freezer. How many women... Are into World War II ship chemistry with pie and then decided to turn it into a bomb. Like, that's fucking cool. That's the I kind just... of I want to hang out with. That's the kind of weird science crafty shit that I can get down on. <laughs> right? So that was cool. She dissolved a bunch of toilet paper and paper towel rolls to make the pie and then made a mold and then formed the bong and then like basically like had a frame that she made out of it, the sphere and the, the top and the stem, and then like just paper mache more wet piecrete onto the outside of it as it froze. It was fucking neat.
2: That is, that probably looked pretty cool too. I think uh, my dad was a nom vet. So at one point when we raided into like the weird dark closets after he passed, I had found like a pretty smelly gas mask and it was like a single filter with the kind of elephant part on it and naturally probably because we had seen it in two films already we fitted it to be able to use it as a smoking device and uh yeah only once we really had to do that that still had like particulate from yesteryear in there so uh it it looked cooler than it hit but at the very least we did get to gas mask up once and really like regret our decisions it was great great times
0: we used to take a, a cooler. We had one cooler that we drilled a hole in the bottom of my like ex's pool, and we would put a big old, like, giant, deep, like, you know, two or three gram bowl at the top of it. And then we push it down in the water and make a giant gravity ball, and then we <laughs> swim, swim up inside of it and just take a couple of big breaths and then swim. Wow. swim up. And you get like two people at a time in there. It was great. It was great. We still have that fun is. The
2: house that is an engineering marvel that's awesome <laughs> yeah the one thing i'm most curious about with the bong test and this is probably especially because i understand a bit of the internet is, is more visual than i normally am is uh throw in you know one of the milks um, i don't necessarily prefer animal milk but i can deal and uh make hot make milk chocolate uh, the weird way so like throw some hershey syrup into the bong itself throw in milk, and then when you hit it, it naturally makes chocolate milk. And by science, technically, if it's really cold, and you recondense some of the vapor or the smoke from however you consumed it, it should decarboxylate it, reform it into probably like a CBN. And if you drink that milkshake, which probably doesn't taste nearly as bad as most bong water would, because chocolate cleans up nice, it potentially would have slight edible capabilities. Is the theory I might have to operate on? You're I just don't know.
0: Be if... more likely to turn into 11-hydroxyl in that scenario. That's yeah, I guess it.
2: once you digest it.
0: Yeah. Huh? Or I don't know. What's interesting is there's some interesting interactions that I still don't think are properly mapped out yet. It's the alkaloids in coca, like uh, that they use for chocolate, because um, uh, there's definitely like proven synergy with with a couple of those alkaloids in some different weird ways. And again, this is some of the interesting strange science with the the endocannabinoid system that just have no fucking idea about any of this shit yet. And there isn't really any good research on it either, you know?
2: Yeah. They said that, uh, you can actually find anandamide in the darkest, like, you know, raw chocolate, which is our endocannabinoid, which of course is way better than CHC as far as its availability and synergy with our body. You know, it's the perfect key for our receptor. Um, and they also found that fruit flies have an endocannabin or have an anandamide in them, but no cannabinoid receptors. So it's like, why do they produce a chemical? It doesn't seem they can use, but I still feel like it's because we're, we're looking through them through our vision. We're like, they don't have the same parts as we do. So why would they make this? It's like, cause it probably does something different, obviously, but you know, we, we love to judge it through our own spectrum. So knowing that chocolate has a little bit of cannabinoids in it and that it has the further synergy through the alkaloid groups, it, makes you feel like you could make like a a really amazing edible if you harness a lot of those like nutrient hacks to it you know a little avocado fat for some binding as well for like the hydrolytic version and you can make like this chocolate smoothie that just heals you right heals what ails you
0: (laughs) and this is some of the weird stuff that i think that isn't getting enough attention and then also some of these overly restrictive states kind of block you from this and you know, that's a, uh, you know, you can't do any dairy products unless it's vegan based, uh, uh, which, which is definitely a blocking, you know, a lot of things. Although I make a pretty good medicated vegan cheese, uh, which is, uh, definitely, uh, you can just Down. make lactobacillus and then take the curds and then make your, your infuse your cheese and away you go.
2: Yeah. it's pretty much a one-to-one process right there. As far as the, uh, the parallel.
0: Yep. No, it's super simple. It's it's nothing overly complicated. Anybody can do it in their kitchen. It's just, you don't see many people making it on the market.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It just makes me wonder, especially in the food side of it. And that's why I think, you know, that'll be what a little bit the future PA is too. And Even if it isn't it's something I'll be looking forward to, because uh, not only does it help with normalizing it, but it's one of the best gotta, ways to put it in.
0: Gotta get the medicated cheese sticks.
2: Oh. I, I make a mean three bean medicated chili. I did buffalo last time I I'd made it, but obviously you can just leave the meat out. Um, RSO based with it, but sometimes I just do a straight flour decarb at five at a time.
0: I make a really, really good medicated Bernays sauce. <sighs> yeah, that's another good one. Take, make a nice like tri-tip or a nice, nice big fucking hunk of meat. Pour that on top, put your mushrooms on there. You have a nice evening.
2: <laughs> I love it.
0: Oh yeah. All right. Well, um, I think we'll wrap up the show. We're uh, just about hitting our normal wrap-up time. Um, I appreciate uh, you coming on the show. Um, why don't you tell everybody how to find you one last time, and then uh, and I'll, I'll do uh, the last couple of uh, announcements here at the end.
2: Sounds perfect. Yeah. Uh, I released my show. Uh, every Sunday night between 7 and 8.30, uh, you can find me, uh, search The Cannabis Professor on Apple, Google. I host on Buzzsprout, thecannabisprofessor.buzzsprout.com. I'm just about at 100 episodes, so even if you want to find content where it's just having a sesh or looking at something super science or maybe just a weird dive into which vape might give you the most, uh, you, know, you should be able to find a good variety of content on it. And also, uh, be sure to check out on YouTube. The U.S. Chamber of Cannabis uh, rebranding coming soon, some real interesting content and exploration of cannabis there to really help grow and, uh, and build more of a community. And then on an absolute tangent, I happen to run a food podcast called Year of the Sandwich. There's only maybe 10 or 12 episodes so far. Um, I, in case you ever want to just really have a little bit of fun with food, uh, I do it as a British man um, and I do it trapped under the crust of the earth and make up food conspiracies for gourmet conversations. So that is usually one that might be great for a session.
0: Okay.
2: And then, I'll, of course, on Instagram, at the Professor.
0: Yeah. All right. And uh, it's nice to talk to somebody from our field from Philly. And I think you're the first one I've actually talked to that, uh, um, you know, does content and things like that or works in the industry in any way. So that's super, super cool to have you on.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. It's been an absolute blast. I look forward to being able to have you on my cast as well and, and do even more in the future. This has been a hell of a time.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, so here's the website for the conference coming up, regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. Uh, I do apologize. I got the URL wrong earlier. Uh, it's regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. cannabis.com takes you there. Um, you can find out about the upcoming conferences. you got Michigan. We'll be up in Michigan February 25th, 26th, 27th. Um, definitely a, a really awesome event. Uh, Kevin Jodry, Susan Maywright-Evans, Chris Trump, myself, Eric Branstead, Joshua Steensland, he's fucking awesome. Probably, in my opinion, one of, if not the most knowledgeable at growing cannabis at scale uh, of anyone that I know in the industry right now. Um, uh, myself, uh, Dr. Lane Ingham, uh, Wade Laughter um, will be joining us via um a video <clears throat> he recorded a video and talks about some some heavy stuff that i think you guys are gonna are eventually will be posted publicly but uh, he gives a really cool talk about his life and working in cannabis and um, kind of the different things that he's achieved it's a really cool talk so we'll be interested in, in, in that and then a whole bunch of cool panelists there's a bunch more people than just what's on here uh, from michigan we have a bunch of local panelists uh, local breeders and growers so that'll be fun. And then we have, uh, in Maine, we have Kevin Jodry. Uh, uh, we have the same group of people, but even uh, uh, more local speakers in the evenings and for the different breeder panels. Uh, and that'll be up in Maine, uh, March 25th through 27th. Um, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then Oklahoma, April 29th through May 1st, um, which uh, is going to be a blast as well. So. Um, definitely uh, looking forward to this. I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to f- get a venue here in Oklahoma where we can smoke cannabis during the event as well. So that'll be a lot of fun. Be able to smoke inside uh, while the talks are going on. We um, definitely check it out if you haven't been there before. It's an amazing, uh, amazing event, and uh, definitely one of the coolest things. We have a big seed swap on Sunday, uh, so that um, you know you can gather a whole bunch of goodies. Uh, I know I made out like a bandit and uh, Humboldt, so definitely check that out. Um, and then uh, everyone also be sure to check out uh, apmjclass.com if you're looking for a full um, top to bottom uh, experience learning aquaponic cannabis. Uh, we do have a full online training school. Marty and I have been working on a whole bunch of new content for that. We'll be throwing the next batch of uh, sli- new slides up here in the next uh, a uh, week or two we're just finishing up editing on that stuff i've just been away um, but you can check that out over there we have just a ton of cool content on a whole bunch of different facilities build outs um, all different types of issues you run into we have over six, 700 slides in, in counting, uh, and counting um, and yeah just a really whole whole solution and we have tons of how-to videos for facility tours that we don't have on youtube a bunch of other cool stuff on there so I'll definitely check that out if it's something else that you're interested in learning more about. Um, uh, Alrighty, I think that's just about everything. Oh, also, um, there we go. Sorry, I'm a little bit slow today. Uh, APMJnewts.com, if you guys need Aquaponic Cannabis Newts, um, you can sign up for the commercial subscription or you can buy your newts by the pound or ounce or whatever else you want. Uh, lots of good stuff all this stuff is low in heavy metals uh, we test it for that and for fish safety so um, you know you don't have to worry about the sourcing on this roger does a very good job of sourcing everything for us um, we also have flowering kits and veg kits you can pick how many weeks of veg and how many weeks of flower uh, and then you can click that pick the gallons for your aquaponic system if you've got fish tanks or if you've got IBC systems or whatever uh, and then how many weeks of flour and then we'll send you pre-mix kits that just kind of uh, uh, pour open as you go over the course of, over the grow. And you can even, you know, if you need a little bit more fertigation, you can actually double it. You can see some side-by-sides with and without the nutrients. Um, there, and Marty did a bunch of uh, side-by-sides with and uh, without nutrients, kind of see the difference in production. And so definitely check that out if you're looking for uh, uh, if you're aquaponic cannabis at home. All right, everybody, um, thanks for watching. Be sure to check out his podcast, uh over at the Cannabis Professor. And then you can always find us at SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, uh, Spotify, all the things. Uh, we will see you guys again next week. Uh, next week's guest is going to be. Oh, I had it open. Gosh darn it. <laughs> I'm not not on point today. I apologize, guys. Next week's guest will be um, Wayne Schwind from the Periodic Effects. They have a really awesome podcast um there actually is almost as many podcasts as i have uh they're like 250 something so super cool to have them on Uh, and then the week after that we have pride of lion seeds Uh, and then the last week in the week of february we might not have a show Um, i will be on the road at the conference and it's very hard for me to get time to do that in the evenings without totally getting into a bunch of other stuff that i should be doing at the same time so i think we probably won't have an episode the last week of february this month i do apologize guys but um excuse me we do have a, a really cool guest uh, we do have men um mean gina mendocino lined up for the first week of march so we have a really cool lineup coming up so yeah thanks everybody for watching uh we will see you guys again next week that is uh, a wrap on the show everybody thanks a lot.